Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and I would like to remind you that you can find the Needless Things Podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher, where you can rate us with a five-star rating and share us all over the internet if you enjoy what you hear. And Valentine's Day is Sunday. With Valentine's Day comes talk of love. Uh, but really, Valentine's Day is more about romance and probably lust, depending on who you talk to and whether or not they have man parts. Uh, originally, I was going to be airing my interview with the fabulous Princess Superstar today, but there have been computer changes and that file, unfortunately, may be lost to the ages. So for the third or possibly fourth time in Needless Things history, there is file trouble that is preventing an episode from going up. I might be able to recover it. I certainly hope so. If not, I will contact Princess Superstar and see if she will do another interview but it's going to be a shame if that one's gone because it was really, really fun and good. But it was also a little short because she just, she's got a lot going on because she is Princess Superstar and it, it wasn't quite the, the length of what we normally do. So I was going to spend a good bit of time talking about romance and love and lust. But that's going to have to wait for another day because what I now have to do is post another episode somewhat about love and uh, appropriate Valentine's Day material because one of the topics that Princess Superstar and I discussed was her YouTube show, I Love Princess Superstar, which I highly recommend you check out. Uh, but it didn't work out, so now we're talking about loving Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's right. If you listen to the show with any regularity, you know that myself and Beth and Chad J. Shonk, our frequent contributor, have talked a few times about talking about Buffy. And when we sat down and we got real about it, we realized there's no way that we can talk about all seven seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the additional materials, for that matter, in one episode, so we're going to cover it a season at a time, starting today with the very first season of Buffy. And I've probably mentioned it before, I know I have on other people's podcasts, I'm not positive I've done it on this one, but Buffy the Vampire Slayer is my favorite show of all time. There have been a few times where I've said uh, Firefly surpassed it, but that's only because everything that we got of Firefly was perfection because there's so little of it. They didn't have a chance for the story uh, telling to get bogged down, for things to not be as wonderful as they were in the beginning. Uh, Firefly is perfect, but if I'm being honest, it's not my favorite. Buffy's my favorite. I've got Buffy tattoos. I have Buffy and the Gentleman uh, as the first Buffy tattoo I got, and then I got Vampire Willow, and 
the last tattoo that I got from my favorite tattoo artist in the entire planet, Mr. Richard Davis, uh, who was on our Evil Dead episode, by the way, uh, was Oz as a werewolf. And it's not completely done, and until I can sit down again with Mr. Richard Davis, it will never be completely done. And I need to hook up with that guy and get some tattoos, but he lives a long way away, and time is precious as as we all know from these intros that go on and on and on. Uh, so anyway, I sat down with Beth and Chad, and we talked Buffy Season 1, and it was great. And there are a couple of things before we get to that that I want to talk about. Like I said, I had this whole thing I was going to do about the nature of love, and I'll I'll shorten it a bit because Valentine's Day is Sunday, and it has been on my mind lately. I've been married for over 10 years now and love is just as strong as it ever was for for the missus for mrs troublemaker uh stronger probably but it's grown and evolved and changed as love does uh but i think love is trust Love is comfort, and people use that word comfort as, as sort of a pejorative term sometimes, and I don't agree with that, because in a certain sense, what's better than comfort? What's better than the person in the world that you're most comfortable with, that you trust the most, that's your best friend, that you love the most, and that's, you know, after 10 years, that's that's what we've got, and yeah, there are times when we want to stab each other in the face for sure. You can't spend 10 years with somebody, you know, there are little things you find cute in the beginning that you absolutely want to set them on fire and throw them under a bridge for, you know, after 10 years. I am sure, uh, and, and look, Mrs. Troublemaker is very supportive of all of my nerd habits. As I've said before, she's the reason I do this podcast. She got me started, uh... Now, now, granted, Noel Wood got me on my first podcast, but as far as podcasting regularly, she's the one that hooked me up with the ESO guys to whom I owe, you know, much of this. And she supports it every single week. I come down here and it takes me a few hours to put this thing together. It takes me a couple hours to record the show. I mean, we're talking about a lot of time here that she gives up. Uh, you know, quality phantom time people, uh, that, that she shares with you. Quite frankly, you should all send Mrs. Troublemaker a Valentine. Uh, if, if you love this show, she's the one to thank. Because if she was some crazy obsessive wife, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't be running needlessthingssite.com where five days a week you can find some of the best and most original pop culture commentary available on the internet. Uh, I wouldn't have the massive, ridiculous toy collection that I have. I mean, well, and and here's the thing, though, is I appreciate all of her attributes, all of her support for me, uh, everything that she does. She's a fantastic mom. Uh, she is an incredible wife. Uh, I just, I, I love her so much. But as I point out when her wonderful attributes get brought up, if she didn't have those wonderful attributes, I wouldn't have married her ass in the first place, uh, if we're going to be totally honest about it. Because when we met, we were both over it. Uh, we were in various stages of reaching 30 years old, 
and we had both been through some rough shit. And I think that's the best time. I mean, people find love at all different stages of life, but both of us had no time for bullshit. And I think that's why the magic happened is we really didn't care if it worked or not. If we found somebody cool to hang out with, that was great. If we didn't, that was great too. And we'd move right along with our lives. And that's why it worked. You know, other people may work for other reasons, but that was our magical connection was our lack of tolerance. So, uh, anyway, I, I guess I just want to say, uh, uh, she'll never listen to this, but I just want to say I love you, Mrs. Troublemaker. You've been the best thing in my life for 10 years now. Uh, you are right about most things and the things that you're wrong about, I, uh, can triumphantly dance around and shove in your face as I sometimes do and you know that uh, but it doesn't happen often so I do have to enjoy it when it does so anyway that's that's my uh, shrunken down treatise on love uh, another thing I love is Buffy the Vampire Slayer so I think it's time to talk about it right now because much to our surprise uh, we managed to talk for a little bit about 12 episodes of Buffy we're going to have to enforce some serious time management once we get into the 2021 20, or 22, I think 22 episode seasons, because you guys don't want to listen to this for four hours. You just don't. I, I Even I, as much as I love the sound of my own voice coming in on a 10-minute introduction, I know you guys don't want that much of this. So anyway, here's Chad, Beth, and me talking about Buffy. <laughs> Once again, Mr. Chad J. Shonk coming to us from the West Coast. I love having uh, a show that spans the coasts. Welcome back to the show, sir. Hello. I'm here. We we have for a very long time been talking about doing this topic, although it's ended up in a format that was a little different than what we'd originally expected. But uh, I'm glad to have you here, and I wouldn't have done it without you. I'm okay. This means we get to talk about it seven times. That's right. That's exactly right, if, if yeah, not more. I don't see what the problem is there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, also joining us once again is the lovely Beth. Uh, welcome back. And are you ready to talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I am always ready to talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but thank you for having me back. Uh, now, what we're going to do tonight is talk about just season one, and we're going to split this up into seven episodes, potentially more, uh, depending on how it breaks down of the Needless Things podcast. Hopefully we can hit a monthly and, and keep on a pretty good uh, course for that, but we'll just see how it plays out. This one's a little easier because season one only consisted of 12 episodes, so we are fortunate in that we can talk about sort of how the series started, how we discovered the series, and uh, its its origins as far as how it relates to the film Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But 
season one, it's, did you guys start with the first season? No. Neither did I. I don't no. think I did either. No. Uh, I can't wait. How, how I, I'll go ahead and start with how I discovered what I think is the greatest show of all time. I worked at a music store years ago, uh, pre 2000, probably going into 2000, uh, just as VHS was phasing out, it was getting to the point where most of the VHS you found was in clearance sections or big lots or whatever the case may be. And you would find deals like five for a buck or whatever. And I was aware of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, obviously. I mean, I worked at Hot Topic in 1997. So I knew there existed a, a show that had somehow come from the movie, but I didn't know anything about it other than it had the name Buffy in the title and it was clearly a show for teenage girls. Uh, and, and that's as far as I went into it because, but you know, when you're younger, I was 21 at the time, which I definitely at this point consider younger. Uh, you know, you're more closed minded, really. You, you don't, you, you kind of, there's so much stuff out there. It's, everything is new at that point. So there's so much to take in that I, I think you're maybe not quite as willing to give things a chance or, or to look past what seems to be a silly title or whatever. Uh, but, but I just had no interest in the show. And then years later, uh, working, or a couple, few years later, working at the music store, we got in boxes and boxes and boxes of VHS that would end up on a big clearance wall. And we got a box set of Buffy episodes. They were the final episodes of season two, uh, which I didn't know at the time. I just had been hearing at this point for two or three years already how great this show was. And I thought, you know what, for a buck fifty or however much it was, I'll grab this, throw it in a box, and, and watch it someday. And I bought it and a bunch of other tapes and stuck them in a box under the couch. And then one day when I was sick, I pulled them out, and I was like, oh, here, here's that Buffy thing. I guess I'll watch it now. And it was, I think it was the final maybe four episodes of the season. It was an odd... Oh, yeah, it was right. right. Uh, yeah. I had no idea I was about to have my guts torn out. Uh, by yeah, imagine characters. watching it the whole time and then having them torn out. Right. <laughs> and, well, yeah. but the impact was so bizarre because I didn't know who these characters were. I didn't know what was going on, but I was able to get into the story fairly easily. And, you know, by the time the final episode of the season was over, I, I was... I was truly just torn apart. I was crying on my couch because I was, it was a sick day. So, I mean, I, you know, barely managed to have the energy to put a VHS into a VCR at that point. Uh, you don't and, have to make excuses for crying. It's and okay. it, uh, it, it, you all know, believe me, there were plenty more tears shed over this show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it does that. Uh, once I was feeling better, I immediately went to whatever the closest used DVD store was, which was probably Warehouse Music, and bought the... Dating ourselves, dating uh, ourselves. Yeah, right? Well, I was I was working at a Warehouse Music uh, when I... No, it was CD Warehouse. That's what it was. Warehouse Music is the one that does not exist anymore. That's the one I was working at. CD Warehouse is the one I went to to buy Season 1 and Season 2 of Buffy. And, and I... And you're not dating yourself. That place is still there. Yeah, 
Yeah, it is still there, and it's still a great place, too. Uh, it, it is as close to a local mom-and-pop record store as you're going to find around these parts. But uh, season one and season two, I bought them. I watched them in the space of not more than two weeks, for sure. Uh, and I was addicted, and I, over the course of... Uh, however long, I, I immediately, as soon as two was done, I went and bought season three. I think I ended up having to buy it new because they weren't any used yet. And I feel like season four is the one I had to actually wait for it to come out. Uh, and then five and six, you know, as they came out. But the only one that I watched on TV, because the, the time frame on this, I'm still foggy on how it was. Because I watched the final episode of Buffy when it aired. But I didn't know what was going on. So I don't know how many years passed between when I bought that VHS and when I watched it. But the show came and went in that time. Uh, but that's the long version of how I found Buffy and fell in love with everything about it. Uh, Beth, what about you? Um, first, I have to say that it's really funny that you talk about not being open to things like Buffy. When you came home with the movie Things... So proud as if you had found a gem. Well, if things, but if things had been called like Lana the Adorable Mutant Girl, I would have <laughs> bought it. I'm sorry, is that on Netflix? <laughs> I'd like to put that in my queue. Oh uh, no, that sounds like a trauma movie. Oh, yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> and and things can only aspire to be a trauma movie. Uh, so. So anyway, Beth, where anyway. Where, where did your Buffy love uh, originate? I really, really thought hard about this, and I cannot remember the exact day and time I started watching Buffy. I know that I saw at least season four through the end on TV as it happened, but I can't, I know I didn't start watching it at first because I didn't care for the movie. Oh, wow, you started with four? I think I started with four. I think Terry was already watching it at that point. Oh, wow. You know what? Now that you say that, I watched Hush also. Yeah. I, I know ju- I remember I, seeing that one. I just now That's, recall that. And I tried. Hush is the blink, Hush is the blink of Buffy. It is. It totally is. It's yeah, the one that you show people that haven't watched the show and I, they'll even, they'll enjoy it even if they don't like the show. Well, and then I tried to watch it the following week and it was some doofy Frankenstein thing and I was like, I can't get into this. And I, ga- I gave up at that point. I was like, okay, well, whatever. Uh, and then, then didn't come back to it until I watched, uh, those VHS ones. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I completely forgotten about that. So anyway, you think you started with anyway. season four? Um, and I know Terry had already been watching it because my husband is and always has been a 16 year old girl. So I thought that was just somewhere that my so-called life, um, 90210 oh, yeah. saved by the bell kind of stuff that he really enjoyed that I could not stand. That's so why I stayed he's away. my best friend. <laughs> I know. You're welcome to that side of him. Yep, I get it. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so I just thought it was some lame stuff that he was into that I was never going to be interested in. And I think I just sat down in front of the TV one day and it just happened to be on. And I can't even remember what episode it was, but I was like, oh, this is this is not what I thought it was going to be. I could get interested in this. So I would sit down and start watching it with them, and, and I know I got hooked shortly after that, but I just can't remember if it was season three or season four where I picked up on it. But then after that, I watched every single episode from there on out to the end. 
My story's not as long and as good as yours. I'm sorry. Uh, well, I don't know how good mine is, but it certainly <laughs> was long. Chad, uh, what about you? Where, where did you find the Buffy love? I here's the thing about Kylo Ren that people don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. Shit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so used to talking Star Wars on here. Hold on. Um, Buffy. That's right. Okay. So I had the same experience you did. Uh, I wasn't a fan of the movie other than the fact that it had Paul Rubens in it, and I ignored it when it came out for many years. And then it started in '97, '99. I moved to Los Angeles. I didn't have cable. I didn't watch a lot of television in my early years there, but. Uh, I remember it was in the back half, as I know now, of season five. I caught an episode on on TV, on the WB, and I thought, well, that was fucking stupid. I wonder what happens next week. <laughs> and then I watched another one, and I was like, that was really dumb. But I really want to know what's going on with this Glory woman. And like, it kept. It, I just, I would all of a sudden it became an appointment for me, even though I didn't really know why. And so my first like big Buffy, you know, kind of bawling moment was at the end of the gift, the end of season five. Mm. And, and, you know, spoilers that that could have been the series finale. In fact, it was designed to be a series finale. Yes. And so by the time when it was done, I was like, oh, I guess I like this show now. So I uh, a friend of mine had one and two season one and two on DVD. I I borrowed those from him and devoured them in like a weekend um you know calling him crying several times going but jenny calendar um <laughs> and then um and then what was happening at the time was that uh some cable channel and i don't remember what was playing them all chronologically and they had just hit season three now i didn't have cable but my friend did and he had a dvr so he was recording them for me and then i would just go to his house and while he was working or whatever and sit on his couch for six hours at a time and mainline <laughs> buffy episodes to try to catch up because they were because uh, they were running them in chronological order and they just happened to hit right where I needed them to. So I watched three and four that way, but they weren't airing five yet. And so I I did a little. It wasn't Napster, but it was like post Napster before BitTorrent and got like the first half of season five online to watch um, from some file sharing site. Yes, I'm admitting to theft. And then uh, I watched that, and then I watched six and seven as they happened. Um, but I, I was intrigued by season five, but I obviously didn't really fall in love with it until when everybody does, which is season two, really, or the end of season one. Mm -hmm. So, but, and then it just became my favorite thing ever, pretty much. Um, but I am someone who likes, uh, much like Best Husband, who likes, uh, uh, teen shows, high school shows. Um, I've, I, this is kind of the only time right now where I don't have a high school show that I watch. And, um, uh, it kind of buzz me out. I even stuck through Dawson's Creek, for God's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's a commitment. But, uh, yeah, so I, yeah, but it was, uh, yeah, I, I came in way late, halfway through season five, so I had no clue what was going on. And it's another reason why I don't hate Dawn as much as most people. Yeah, I never got the Dawn hate, and, and it's interesting. Because when I came into the show, she was just a character. Well, it's interesting the fandom, uh, the effect that fandom can have on yeah. your viewing of something. Because I, I watched five essentially isolated from Buffy fandom, uh, yeah. just on my own, and I never had a problem with Dawn, and I was actually very surprised because I got it. She's yeah. supposed to be the annoying little sister. I, I myself have one of those. I got it. I understood what they were doing, and they did it perfectly, I thought, 
So yeah. I was shocked when people had like legit hate for the character, you know, not storyline hate, but like I don't want her on the show hate. I, I, I never understood that. Well, we'll get to Donnie. She's a little. She's yeah, got we a will. Few we've got a yeah. we've got a few episodes. Although technically, before. she was there for this. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, re- yeah. In, in, re- retroactively, yes. Yeah, I, I have Don Heat. Well, yeah. we we yeah. will discuss that on yeah. uh, the fifth part of this expansive Buffy series. <laughs> and the sixth, series. and the seventh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we so Nate comics, and she's a giant woman. And, yeah. Real? Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, that. The, you know what? That'll be the. That'll be the eighth episode. Actually, <laughs> yeah. we'll we'll talk about the media, uh, the yeah. the Buffy expanded universe, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, the movie. Real quick, I just want to touch on the movie, uh, which sure. uh, Chad, as you mentioned, did feature Paul Rubens in the most spectacular death scene ever. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it's. You know, Luke Perry's fun. Christy Swanson's fun. Like, nobody in the movie does a bad job, but it's just not a very good movie. Just the people behind the camera. Yes. Yes. But the actors are all... They're just... They're all fine. Nobody stands out as being, like, offensive. It's just not a great movie. Yeah. Uh, So, I don't know if you guys really know this or not. I don't know a ton about it, but how did we get from... A movie that I, I don't know how well it did. I don't think it was a blockbuster, but I also don't no. think it was a flop. It was a pretty big flop. I was think. it? I mean, it, it wasn't a flop because it didn't cost a ton. I don't think, but it right. wasn't. It definitely wasn't a hit. It was more. It was almost more of a punchline, not because of the uh, the film itself, it's just the title. Right. It became kind of a punchline, um, uh, which is, is intentionally so. Oh yeah. You know that the the title is intentionally. It's very tongue in cheek. Yeah, uh, and I think, so it became, everybody knew what it was, because of the title. Right. Type of thing. Um, but not, a, but not a lot of people, I don't think, saw the movie. You know, kind of so, like Snakes on a Plane, in a way. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's actually not a bad call, because it, it did, uh, you know. It's part pretty, of the zeitgeist, and yet, nobody went and saw it. So, how did we get from that movie to this television show? I mean, obviously, Joss Whedon was the driving force, you know, to to continue it. Yeah, from what I remember, I think someone though did come to him with it, with the idea. Yeah, because uh, he did not have the rights. I don't believe. I think the rights were still with the people who produced the film. Sure, sure. Uh, who who who, despite never working on an episode, um, have executive producer credits on every episode of the television show for all seven years. So we. We get to the point where this show is debuting in March of 97. Oh, uh, yeah, but before that. Oh, prior to that. There is a presentation pilot. Oh, yes, and you guys are going to have to talk about that because despite having it, uh, I have never watched it. Oh. Yeah. So it's just what, real quick us. for people who don't know that um, in order to, you know, kind of a proof of concept for the show, uh, Joss Whedon financed – wrote, directed a 25-minute pilot presentation of the show uh, using most of the main cast, uh, a good chunk of what would end up being the pilot script, but very low budget, no sets, existing locations. Uh, it basically did just prove that it could be a show and what the show could be. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very interesting watch because it's almost every piece of it is in what ends up being the two-part official pilot of the show. But what's missing is Angel. Um, 
the uh, uh, her mom isn't in it. The master's not in it. None of the bigger world stuff around her is in it. It's all just the school storyline. And it pretty much covers all the same ground as the pilot, the first half of the pilot does. It even has Julie Benz as, as Darla in the very opening. Uh, other, other characters, uh, Mercedes McNabb, who plays Harmony, um, uh, Danny Strong, who plays Jonathan, they're even in it as extras. So there's a lot of people. Everybody's in place. And the big one, of course, is that there's a different, here. there's a different woman playing Willow. Mm, poor Chunky that Willow. Is, that is part of the, that is part of the kind of the big thing about it. Her name is Riff, 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 Riff Regan. Um, and, you know, she had a pretty healthy acting career. She's retired now and runs a startup company out of Harvard. So I think she's doing just fine. But, uh, there was a, another actress playing Willow that is kind of the most shocking thing when you, when you watch the presentation. Um, it's quite rough, but you can definitely see that it's, oh, that's another character. There's no Jesse in it either. Um, so they basically just stripped it down to its, he just stripped it down to its bare minimum. This is these these are these main characters. This is the scenario. This is the kind of the tone of the show, um, and it was on the basis of that presentation, which I highly recommend. You can watch it on YouTube. It's on the basis of that that they get ordered to make a pilot for the show. So we get that. Obviously, it did what it was supposed to do. Yeah. And the show premieres, and I, I want to mention how interesting it was to me because this is probably the. F- fourth or fifth time I've watched the first season in its entirety and the opening scene of Darla with uh, who ends up being her victim basically encapsulates the entire show Yes, it's so brilliant and such great shorthand for what we're in for because it's played as though this poor girl is about to be victimized by this guy and it gets turned on its head, which this show, uh, you know, it did that very same thing many times as far as gender roles, but it also just well, narrates the statement of the show, right? Buffy yeah. is that blonde girl that yes. walks into the, you know, and turns around and kicks ass. Absolutely. So it almost, you almost feel if you know nothing about that opening scene, you almost think she could be Buffy, too. Yes. Until, you know, uh, she turns out to be a vampire. And it's, it's just a beautiful opening scene and watching it again recently, because over the last week I've watched all 12 of these again and refresh myself a lot. And a lot of things surprised me, but that, that more than anything had such an impact with me because uh, it's just so smart and so well done. And, uh, not everything about this season is though. And no. we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, but let's talk about welcome to the Hellmouth and the harvest, uh, which, which is essentially, like you said, the two part pilot. Yeah. They aired um, it the same night. I do believe they aired, they aired just as I'm showing, uh, Actually, in the notes from the box set, it says that March 3rd was Welcome to the Hellmouth and March 10th was The Harvest. Oh, okay. Okay, so they did separate them. Right. Uh, and, and at the time, I think it was sort of unusual to do, because lots of shows now will have the two-part opener and, and air them the same night. But I think back yeah. then that wasn't as common. Yeah, probably not. I, I think yeah. the networks were much more uh, more willing to just split them up or, you know, they didn't care narratively or whatever the case may be. But... Uh, a solid start, and I want to say that Sarah Michelle Gellar uh, and Anthony Stewart Head and uh, <laughs> Allison Hannigan are fantastic from the get-go. 
Yep. I feel like, and and everybody. They're also the people with the most experience. And well, and and that that totally makes sense. Then, uh, you know, everybody's fun to watch, but all three of them, I feel like, nail their characters right out of the gate. Uh, what what are you guys' impressions of of these first couple episodes and getting to know these characters? Um, I honestly, I did not like Angel from the get go. I've never been an Angel fan. The minute he shows up, I'm like, ugh, who's that? Oh, You're going to have gonna, to leave now. He's going to be irritating. Is there, an, is there an eject button for this show? <laughs> I know. I'm, okay. I'm, 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 yeah. I, I like Spike. I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, we'll I, get I'm into that. Three, I'm team threesome. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that later. Okay. So, no, don't like Angel. Interesting. Okay. No, from from the get go, there's something whiny looking about him. Just like, oh, he's he's going to be a pain in the ass, and I was right. Um, <laughs> he's a pain what in I the think, ass. What I think is funny is, you know, I've seen that scene with Darla so many times now that you forget that impact that it had. You know, maybe the first time you watched it. Mm-hmm. Because after you've seen the first episode 5,000 times or however many times I've probably seen it now, it's just, oh, Darla's about to eat this guy. Right. Well, it's helpful to me uh, in, you know, previous times, because, you know, this time I was sitting down trying to pick up on, you know, what's important, what's different, what's weird. Uh, Other times I sit down and watch it just to enjoy it. But it helps a lot for that opening scene that Julie Benz looks so different in these than she does when she comes back late spoiler when she comes back later yeah. on uh to the point where the uh i think i don't know if i'd already seen her uh, but at one point rewatching welcome to the hellmouth i didn't realize it was darla uh and i don't think it was the, i don't I, it was the first time i'd watched it so i don't i don't know chronologically i don't know how this all fell together but I remember the surprise of oh shit that's Darla like I didn't even recognize her. So it's 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 helpful I think that she does look that different so there's not an immediate connect there. But uh, so anyway, first impressions. Who what what characters did you like? Who were you um, on board with immediately? I was on I was Team Giles immediately. Um, I loved him the instant I saw him. And going back and watching it now, he's kind of a fox. Sure, he's totally he's totally a fox. Sure, I'll go with that. Tony head's and sexy as hell. It's age appropriate now. At the time I was originally watching it, it wasn't really age appropriate. Now it's age appropriate. <laughs> it's age appropriate. No, it's it's completely fine to crush up. You just can't crush down. It's it's funny <laughs> how that stuff works because I'm sitting here wa- I was sitting here watching it and wondering, like, you know, when I first saw this. Uh, you know, 15 or whatever years ago, I'm so much closer in age now. Like, I wonder how old Buffy's mom and Giles were when this <laughs> yeah. show started. Like, oh my gosh, I'm closer to their age now than to the kids. It's like, best not to think about this. Thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, believe me, you're right. Yeah. Uh, that's why I'm drinking now. Uh, <laughs> Good call. Good call. So, um, I, I knew immediately as soon as you see Jesse, you're like, oh, that guy's gonna die. I didn't but know he was going to die, but I wanted, wanted him to die. die. But no, somebody was going to die, I, uh, and he was irritating of the Scoobies. I already at that point was familiar with Eric Balfour, and and look, he's 
He's, I ha- yeah, I have a Jesse point to make. Yeah, go ahead. He's, he's gone on. He's gone on to do quite well for himself. Look, he's a fine actor, and I'm glad he's been successful. Uh, I just he's one of those guys. I don't like him. And I feel bad for it because he's in so much genre stuff that's really fun. Like, I feel like he has really fun taste in what he chooses and he's probably a great guy, but man, I don't, I don't like seeing him on the screen. So. But I, I can't, I can't dislike Angel. Okay. I see how it is. Let's wait. There's actually an episode called Angel, so we can wait till we get to that. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so. So what is your, uh, so anyway, as far as the character of Jesse, like he's, he's not particularly likable other than, well, he's Xander's pal. Uh, and when he died, I was relieved. But what, uh, what, what is your Jesse? Well, uh, first off, the, Joss is, Joss Whedon, I'm going to call him Joss because we're buddies. I've met him twice, but we're buddies. <laughs> um, <laughs> he wouldn't know me from anybody. Uh, is that he wanted to put Jesse in the opening credits. He wanted to put Eric Balfour in the opening credits originally. Uh, so that, you know, here's your cast. Right, right. And then it makes it even more shocking when he doesn't make it out of the first two episodes. Uh, he wanted to pull that off the, uh, they wouldn't, Fox wouldn't allow it to happen because it just take, took too many man hours and too much money to actually put together a, a credit, a secondary credit sequence. Sure. They're already running on a shoestring budget for that first season. So they, they didn't, uh, they ended up not doing it. But, um, the biggest problem I have with Jesse is that he's introduced as, uh, Xander's kind of best buddy, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, and he dies, and his name is not muttered once for the rest of the seven seasons. <laughs> he yeah, is never referred to, he's never mentioned, they never say his name, but he's like Xander's best friend. Yeah. Lots and of people been, die in Sunnydale, you can't hang on to that stuff. But he's the first one. <laughs> he's the first one of Xander and Willow's friends to die. And, it's not that I think, like, in season seven, he should be, like, you know, pouring one out for Jesse. But, like, in episode three, they don't even mention him. Yeah. He's, you know? He's like he's, You're right. He's never mentioned ever again. But, again, is that more the style of television at the time? Particularly, yes. quote, unquote, teen drama television. I just don't think they wanted to... I don't know. I just don't think they wanted to worry about it. I mean, it, it, they were they were too busy trying to figure out what their show was, and, yeah. and it wasn't that big of a deal. It just always occurred. It was just always strange to me that it was like never referred I, to. I think they were ever. they were more worried about creating new drama than they were hanging on to the old drama. Yeah. No. No. And it's fine. I just it's just funny. His his name is never muttered. Well, and this season yeah. is. Very different from the following seasons. Uh, you know, the tone is, is quite different. There, there, there are, uh, you know, obviously you can tell what's, it's there. The heart of it is there, but, uh, it, it's a different beast. So we get this great, inter- great skateboarding introduction to Xander. Only time he ever rides the skateboard. Skateboards again. Which is, which is probably for the best because skateboarding, <laughs> skateboarding Xander was a well, little a bit much. On the commentary track, Whedon says that it, it wasn't, it was just simply, it became, it was just, he, he wrote it in the script that he would skateboard in, but then when they got there to shoot it, he realized they had to set up track and they had to like have like, you know, this shot designed to, tr- to track him while he's on his skateboard. And they were like, it's much easier if he's walking. <laughs> so I think for continuity's sake, he carry that you see him holding the skateboard once or twice more mm-hmm. 
during the first season, and then it goes away. Well, and and really, as the character develops, he's not really a skateboard guy. He's not a skater. No, 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 it was it was unnecessary. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was just for the introduction of him. But yeah, he's like it was way too. He's like it cost us too much money to do that to do his intro shot. So we and hey, it's the late nineties. Every kid has a skateboard, right? With probably with Ninja Turtles on the bottom. Uh, another thing I wasn't crazy about uh, on fir- first viewing this season was Mark Metcalf as the master. Uh, I thought the makeup looked fantastic, but his mannerisms, uh, I did the first time, I didn't care for it. A little over the top. Well, no, it wasn't even that it was over. I mean, you're talking to somebody. Well, yeah, and you know this better than anyone. Classic Doctor Who fan here. There's no such thing as over the top. But... What he was doing, it was over the top. Well, it just... I felt like he never did anything. I, I Yeah, and that that was probably part of it, is he was stuck in the cave the whole time. But just the way that he spoke, he didn't, for whatever reason, come across to me as a menacing villain at the time. I've revised my opinion, and now I love his performance, and and actually do like I said related a lot to to the classic Doctor Who type stuff, especially something like by Robert Holmes or whatever. But uh, without getting too far, of course, I, I didn't dig him at first. What did you guys think of the one of almost the surprise of an overarching story like that? I I like the Master, but um, but I would agree he doesn't do a whole lot for most of the season. But I and I, and I think his tone isn't quite in sync with the rest of the show, but. There is no tone for the rest of the show. Said they're they're finding bits and pieces of tone as they go along. You know, yes. they have an episode that there's a you know when I was watching the first season, one thing I noticed was you have an episode where there's like ten minutes that are pure like okay, this is a Buffy episode, mm-hmm. and then maybe it devolves and becomes something else. And they're they're finding the little pieces here and there as the season goes along. You're right. Uh, there and, there are awkward chunks of yeah. like nine hundred two one zero or Dawson's Creek. <laughs> Like yeah, horned into it's it's really they are, jarring. Well, I mean, it is it is ostensibly a high school show, sure. Um, and but they and, got much better so, at blending it in. They did, and and all all season one is as, as we're going to go through this is them figuring out what the show is. Yes, is is all it is. Now, I happen to think there are two, maybe three episodes that actually hit it pretty close, and are kind of the archetypal episodes for the series or in this season, but. Uh, in general, they're just kind of, you know, firing. Off. I mean, I love the fact that's uh, that's one thing that was missing from the presentation was the idea of a big bad, and the overarching storyline. Um, you know, when I was watching it, I was coming out of season five where I just watched. I mean, season, the back half of season five is almost purely serialized, mm-hmm. and uh, once you know, and especially after Buffy's mom dies, and then it becomes like this spoiler. Sorry, if you, if you haven't watched the whole show. Stop. Yeah, you shouldn't um, be listening to this anyway. Wait, watch but, the show, and, and but treat this. As it, so I was used to it being very serialized, so it didn't make, it didn't phase me that there was some kind of big right, bad monster right. like that seemed completely natural to right. me. Right, like, because you're like, well, that's how it is. That's how that's how the show is. This is just the first one. Uh, I agree that his makeup's great, uh, and and he 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 looks really cool. And I think that as impotent as he seems, um, and we'll get there, he is a key factor in. One of my favorite episodes of all time at the end of the season. So, um, you know, I, I think he's redeemed a little bit for me. 
because uh, of his involvement uh, in the end of the end of the series. Uh, I could care less about the anointed one. Oh, y'all have got a lot to say when we get there. Well, yeah. The best thing about the anointed one will come in our next episode. It will come in season yeah. two. Yes. Right. Uh, so correct. we have our opener. We meet everybody. Uh, action happens. We learn about the vampires. We learn that they're very different vampires from what we saw in the movie if we bothered to see the movie. And it's it sets up as much of the mythology as we need. Now, what's interesting is this show is called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But the opening, uh, prior to the credits, they have the little, in every generation, there's a Slayer born, da-da-da-da, however it goes. Uh, I don't know it by memory. But they specifically mention vampires, demons, and monsters. The forces of darkness. Forces of darkness, yes. Yeah. They are opening things up far beyond uh, just vampires. And in the following storyline, we see, you know, not only do we have uh, monsters, demons, forces of darkness, uh, we have literal magic, yes. which is a bold step to take this early on. But it's very well, important in setting up that mythology that we're talking about. Well, one thing that they hit on that has been copied since, and it may have been before this, but definitely has been copied since, is the creation of the Hellmouth, the plot generator. Yes. Right? The, 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 the fact that the school sits on this nexus of evil, uh, it is, as you, you know, uh, watch the flash and it's the particle accelerator. Well, Watch and, Smallville, it was the meteorite. Well, and right? what's great is we don't find out until the very end of the season that the school does sit on it. Right, but the Hellmouth is in Sunnydale. It's in Sunnydale, they, yes. They do talk about that. So the idea of giving anything a, you know, they, they, they knew ahead of time they couldn't just be vampires every week. Right. <laughs> or else that's going to get really boring. So by, by that would putting be vampire diaries. It would be. Um, it, so instead, so instead they put it in this, said kind of hot spot for evil. And it's just, it's, it's a, it's just a plot generator because we don't care. Like the monsters are cool, but what keeps the show going are the characters. And you just really need a machine to crank out monsters for them to fight. Yes. <laughs> um, and that's what the Hellmouth is. Um, is, is, in one of the, in one of the later episodes of this season, Giles just calls it a mystical convergence of energy, which means it, just any fucking thing could happen. Just whatever's right. gonna happen. Exactly, exactly. And, it's, it's, and, it's, it's whatever it and that's why it all happens to be in Sunnydale, is the, you know, dark forces, you know, they're drawn there. Yeah, there is so much shit in the whole course of the show that is so fucking stupid. Oh yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, I mean, in terms of things like that, where, it's just so simple and obviously like a uh, storytelling shortcut. You know, Willow, Willow and her computer skills in 1997. Yes. That's what yes. she's able to do with a computer in 1997 in a school. Well, and what's, but it is fascinating and, and we'll get to that in the episode that you don't want to discuss. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll get, we'll get to it in a minute. Let's do yeah, yeah. No, I was just, saying, just, just they, they, the, but the thing is you don't, you don't mind those shortcuts. Sure. Because, you don't care because the characters are what you care about. Well, and that's, that is uh, something I've been doing a lot of thinking about over the past several years is the convergence of storytelling characters and suspension of disbelief. And because there are things that I will accept from something I love that I will not accept from something that I'm just okay with. Yeah. And sure. it, there's, there's a very interesting, you know, we said we were going to talk about star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. So, moving on to which, uh, 
Which brings in literal magic. And there's an interesting switch up in this episode. I, I think the story is told very, very well. And it, it really is, as much as it's a specific story, it does do a lot to expand the mythology. Uh, how do you guys feel about this one? <laughs> the thing about which is that it's one of those couple of episodes that I mentioned that I think establishes the archetype of what a Buffy episode is. Um, it happens to be the first Buffy episode, meaning that it's the first episode produced after the pilot. Mm-hmm. So it's actually their first episode of television. But I also think it, it's, it's weird because they kind of hit the nail on the head of what a Buffy episode should be their first try out. And then subsequent episodes, they miss it because they still don't know what the show is. And they're right. still trying to find it. But I think Witch is very close to what the show is and what the show will become. You know, I, th- I think it's one of the two or three kind of shows early on that established what this show is going to feel like. Well, what does that mean to you? Well, just the mix of, I think, in Witch, the mix of humor and the suspense and the horror is all very well balanced. The, um, the the metaphors that it uses were using the supernatural as a metaphor, which is obviously something that the show does a lot as a metaphor for life or growing up for school. It just felt like I don't know, it it, it doesn't feel as dated to me as some of the other season one episodes. It yeah. just feels like an episode of Buffy. And and there and I don't know, I I can't explain it. It just feels right. It feels like an episode of Buffy. There's one or two others this season, but it's like they're. It's like they hit it on the head and they figured it out exactly. And then for the next episode, and they don't quite figure it they, out. Exactly. They forgot. Well, it's they that, forgot. Well, because they're trying to figure out a step at a time. It has you know? that perfect combination of nailing high school angst. Yeah. Uh, you know, your your mom's forcing you in in theory anyway. Your mom's forcing you to do something you don't want to do. Something yeah. you got to do for school. You've got to deal with the social aspects of it. But then also, you have the heart. I mean abject horror in this episode of the way Amy's mother is treating her. And then to me, one of the most chilling endings of any Buffy episode ever, when her eyes are in that trophy, (laughs) the trophy, Uh, I mean, that's horrifying to me. Uh, Well, I guess I think that what, what, what works about it, what makes it a, a real true blue Buffy episode to me is that, what are you talking about? So it's about a woman who is, uh, you know, forces her daughter into something and is trying to live vicariously through her daughter to the point where she literally, through magic, lives vicariously through her daughter. Right. You know, and so that's what I mean. It, it takes, in season one, the metaphors are a little heavy handed. We'll see that when we get to out of mind, out of sight, and things like that. But, <laughs> yes. Which is a good episode, but pretty much nails, nail on the head, right? But the idea that, that these, that they can weave the supernatural with the, um, uh, with the, the, with growing up, with life, with high school, with parental pressure, all these different things that they, that they use throughout the show is very much a Buffy thing. Plus it, it has, you know, and the, the amazing opening with Buffy in the cheerleader outfit. Yes. And Giles's horror that she's joined a cult. <laughs> yes. You know, well, and, 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 and that brings it back to, you know, the movie, not the movie, but Joss's original vision of Buffy, which was the cheerleader that fought vampires. Yes. You know, and this is the only time we ever get that is this little bit of Buffy as cheerleader in this episode. And, uh, so I just think that, I don't know, I think it works from start to finish. It's one of my, uh, it's definitely one of my favorite episodes of the first season. Beth, what about you? What did, what did this 
episode leave you with? Um, well, you get the beginnings of really the Scoobies coming together because for the first time, Willow and Xander were starting to really help and, and find out what they can do and, and try to participate in this crazy shit that Buffy's doing. Um, so to me, that's why it's, like Chad said, the, the first good Buffy episode is because now we're finally getting Scoobies going and, and even though Amy doesn't get to be one of them, she gets to go away. Um, you've still got that great interaction of, of them finding their, their group. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it helps establish the, you know, a pilot's job is to, uh, introduce you to a world and then change the status quo of that world. And then establish that status quo by the end of the pilot, basically telling you, this is why we're telling the story from this point out. You know, The reason the Buffy pilot starts when it starts is because Buffy is moving to this new school. That is the instigating incident of the, of the whole show. And by the end of the pilot, and sort of the two-part pilot, you have basically they set up the show, right? The show, that episode ends with her and Giles and, and Willow and Xander, right? And they're going to take on the forces of evil. And that's that's your show in a nutshell. And this is the first episode that it's obviously the only first episode because it's the next episode. But it's the first episode that shows you that 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 takes that premise that they established by the end of the the harvest and puts it into play. And I just think they happen to nail it you know, right out the gate. So we follow that up with what Chad you referred to as something of a misfire uh, as far as nailing the tone, and that's teacher's pet. Which is pretty weird, because we have poor Xander, poor lovelorn Xander. It's the, be- it's the beginning of Xander and Willow falling in love with monsters just every damn time you turn around. <laughs> but it is the beginning, so it is not yet a cliche. No, not yet. It, it will be within a couple of episodes. <laughs> no, it's just it's the first Death Star. It's the original Death Star. <laughs> it's just like the first time you see Giles get knocked out. Uh, I am not crazy about Teacher's Pet. It's, you know, I get it, but it's very simplistic. It doesn't, it, it, and honestly, I fell asleep watching it. I had to, it took me a couple (laughs) of attempts to get through it. Uh, but I get it. It goes to the, you know, not only the, the having a crush on the teacher, but also what is so commonly in American media of the older teacher sort of seducing the younger student, you know, all that stuff. And then the more literal, I guess, monsters, if you remember that old TV show. You know, had the, oh, it's not a human, it's a monster, and they're gonna eat the person after they seduce them. I mean, it's, it's a lot of cliches rolled into one. Uh, not the best. Anything about this? The one thing I did notice when I was watching it, however, that I wanted to make a point of is there, there is a scene where with, because in Teacher's Pet, Buffy has a teacher that actually likes her. Right? And that teacher is the one who's killed and replaced by the praying mantis lady. Right. Yes. Again, sentences you can only say when you're talking about certain shit to certain people that don't sound like you're a complete crazy person. But, but what I, what I really liked, um, and one thing that, that struck me in these opening episodes was that, is this image that, of Buffy wanting to be a good student, you know, and this teacher's telling her that she's smart and she's with it, and that's not something that ever comes up. Buffy is a character who, and, and this goes through the whole season, but this episode, it hit me in a lot of episodes, is, she doesn't want to do what she's doing. She doesn't like being a vampire slayer. She spends her entire life, the entire seven seasons, like, battling with this, you know, that she has to do this and doesn't want to do this. Right, she's not Barry and, Allen. And that's there very early. 
it's there very, very early. And, um, in, in, in the, you know, the one thing that occurred to me around teacher's pet when I was watching things, but definitely when he got to a couple, like to never kill a boy on the first date is that as much as I love the Avengers movies, they missed an opportunity. Joss Whedon should have done Spider-Man because Buffy is just Spider-Man. You know, Buffy is, 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 is very close to a Spider-Man story. It is a superhero in high school, um, who's balancing everyday problems with fighting monsters. Yeah, but I think, uh, I think Spider-Man enjoys being Spider-Man more than Buffy enjoys being Buffy. He, he does, he does. Yeah. But there is the great power, great responsibility aspect of Spider-Man. Sure. That is definitely something that Buffy has. Um, and it just, it just, I just think that it, it was just a moment where where a teacher was kind to her, and 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 there's a moment, the moments in the and in the pilot where how Buffy treats Willow in the pilot, yeah, you know, how kind she is to her, and that it's something that gets forgotten as time goes on. I'm one of those rare people whose favorite character on Buffy is actually Buffy, and that the fact that that very early from the beginning they presented her as a a good person. You know, well that, that look on her face when Cordelia is being cruel to Willow, yeah, is priceless. You know, and be, and for all the shit that she goes through throughout the years, it, it's it's interesting and it's it's good to watch this episode and remember that she is a good person and that she is smart and she is capable. You know, I mean, in the, again, in the pilot, she doesn't want to be fighting monsters, but she's completely confident that she can do it. Right. You know, this is a superhero television show, but. The first episode is not an origin story. She's already realized in the first episode. She already knows what she's doing. Yeah, she doesn't want to do it, but she already knows. So it was something that occurred to me in in Teacher's Pet is that you know there were moments that is this just moment with a teacher where I was like, yeah, Buffy could have been a good student if she didn't have to go out at night and kill things. Um, and that's something that's going to recur as a theme over and over and over and over again. So what? And, and you know, not only you mentioned the the teacher being kind to her and dying, it also starts the theme of she can't have nice things. <laughs> no, she cannot. Buffy cannot have nice things. <laughs> Any, anything else uh, about teacher's pet, Beth? Any thoughts about that one? Um, really, only other thing I noticed was how bad that praying, mon- praying mantis monster suit looks. It's like something out of Doctor Who from the 60s. <laughs> it's yeah. really bad. Yeah. But I do love, I love Xander's dream sequence at the beginning. Yes. It yeah. is it's a little out of place you don't know he's dreaming. No. It's a little out of place stylistically. They don't go to that well very often. Um with that type of of sequence. I mean, they have the dreams, but dreams are usually portents or something in Buffy. Uh they're usually Buffy's dreams or something like that, but for Zan, you know, and they they do it every once in a while, but it felt a little out of place, but only out of place in the broader sense. Well, and of when, it, Z- of when Xander does dream, he definitely has dude dreams. He does. He does. We'll, Very yeah. relatable. We'll get to the end. Of, we'll get to the end of season four. Um, uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Never kill a boy on the first date. Uh, an episode yes. I yes. really like now. Didn't like it first, uh, but I like it for how well it sets up what you were just talking about. Is Buffy wants to? You know, she would much rather have just a normal life, but this yeah. damn slaying thing just keeps fucking it up. And it's going to continue to do so. And and the guy that they cast, uh, I, I don't have his name in hand, and it's not a huge deal because he doesn't show back up again. No. Uh, great, great casting because he's he's an okay dude. He's a nice guy uh, that t- 
turns out to have issues. Yeah, it, they awaken something in him. Yes. Oddly. Um, and, and that's one thing that, that brought me kind of to the Spider-Man analogy because at the end of the end of it, she has to kind of walk away from him for his own safety. Yeah. You know, which is a very kind of the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Well, and not just for her, not just for her own safety, but once again, she can't have nice things because this guy, it's, it's not even that he is attracted to her. It's that he's attracted to this. That's true. At the very end, he does become like a adrenaline junkie. Right. His whole. But is is she even really right for him? Because she's having to pretend to be into Emily Dickinson just to get his interest. I mean. Well, and that's another. Is that even. That's another teenage thing, though. I mean, that's definitely uh, a thing to address is the, oh, I'm super into this. Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, that happens. That for sure uh, is is out there. I was just talking to somebody the other day uh, about the difference when a guy says they love something, uh, like a band, for instance. When a guy says they love something, it typically means uh, I have every album. I see them live whenever I can. I've seen every video, watched documentaries about them. I obsess about them. I might have written fan fiction about them. And uh, when you say that and a girl says, oh, yeah, I love them, too, that means, yeah, I'm familiar with their single. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the guy doesn't understand that difference, typically. Typically. I'm not talking. I'm not making broad generalizations here. But I'm, no, well, I'm, yes, I'm just I broadly generalizing. Yeah, but, yes. but you can see that Buffy absolutely is faking it. Yes. But but and that's that's the whole point is, you know, yeah, she's kind of going along to, to get along. No, it's a it's a good episode, and you're right. It it, it hits more on that that battle that she's going to have forever between wanting to be a girl and having to be the Slayer. And actually, yeah. this is a uh, this is another I think really solid episode because it's much more of a nine hundred two one zero episode than it is uh, a Buffy and the Scooby Gang episode because it's more it's really more about the high school stuff. But it's so well done that it doesn't bother me that that's the case. It's the first time we see Buffy kind of horny, you know, kind of like Jones. And, I mean, it is. It's the first time. I mean, yeah. obviously Angel, obviously Angel, she thinks Angel's hunky and stuff. Right, but like, right. it's the first time we see her like, you know, you know, on a dude. Yeah. You know, and like, and 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 yeah, there. I mean, one thing that you know, as much as the show, and I think rightfully so, gets. Uh, accolades for its strong female characters and everything like that. One thing that I think makes them strong female characters is that Buffy is still a girl. You know, she's tough and she's, she's, she's strong and she's a hero, but she's still a girl and they play that. And these are the episodes that play that really well, you know, where she's, she's only 16. She was going dates, <laughs> you know, right. and, and, and all these other things are pulling her in other directions. But, but so you can tell early on in the show that they, they already had that. They knew that they had that. You know that that was going to be kind of a main through line of the character. You know, was that that pull? So, but it's it's a good episode. Uh, anything stand out? Uh, final thoughts on the uh, which I, I really love the title of this one as well. Any final thoughts yeah. on this one? <laughs> then we will move know, on. I... It did begin the the thing where you don't mess with Buffy's boyfriend. <laughs> right. Yes. Because yes. that carries on later. But oh, and, and it began Giles putting himself in mortal danger for no reason right, at all. Yes. But yes. Yes. Because he thinks that you know. Because yeah. Because he doesn't want to put Buffy in danger, despite the fact that she could handle herself much better. Yeah. He. Yeah. But it also starts to yeah when when Owen goes down and she thinks he's dead, 
and she just starts wailing the fuck out of the guy. And was it, uh, he starts to get up and Willow starts to tell, Buffy, he's okay. And Xander stops her and goes, just give her a minute. Like, <laughs> we need her to think he's dead for another 30 seconds. Um, and Giles, Giles does give a lovely speech at the end. I will say that's that. That's also an episode I marked where they start, Giles and Buffy really started bonding. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the, the sort of father figure comes into yeah. play a lot there. Yeah, they have a lot of that, but yeah, it did establish the "don't mess with my boyfriend" attitude. The Buffy has. <laughs> so, the pack, yep. which I uh, is another one that I I wasn't crazy about the first time that I saw it, but now I think I kind of dig it. One because mainly because of the line at the end where Xander. Uh, they're all under the impression that Xander does not remember anything from yeah. the time where he was possessed by the <laughs> evil hyena gods or whatever. A joke that they do repeat later on in the series, I think. Yes, but this is the first instance, and it plays yeah. very, very funny. Uh, when Giles says, you know, nothing I've read says anything about lost memories, and Xander's like, let's just keep that to ourselves. Yeah, yeah did you tell them that? <laughs> did you tell them that? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. It's very, yeah. very solid. It's it's, it's another occasion. It's, it's the first occasion of someone under the effect of magic having the worst of them come out. Yes. You know, it's not, it's not that they become entirely different people. It's that, you know, uh, and you get there in the beginning of season two, uh, when, when she was bad, the, when Buffy comes back and she's a bitch to everybody. Like, it, it's those episodes where people, you know, they, they take these characters and they show you kind of the ugly side of them a little bit. And, and in this case, Xander is possessed by a jackal. Right. They okay. make, they or take, a hyena, sorry. They but, take things that, happen to us in real life and they make magic responsible. But a lot of the things that he's saying to Buffy or about Buffy and Angel and their relationship is Xander means all that. Absolutely. He's just too good of a person and too reasonable a person to say it out loud. Uh, and this, this one also directed by Bruce Seth Green, one of the more confusing entities. No relation. Sounds like Seth Green going I, under I some strange, make sure. strange Monty yeah. Python alias or something. Yeah, it is. I did notice that. It is funny to see that name. Uh, but I mean, overall, this is, uh, it's not a well liked episode. No, and, and, and I understand that, but poor Principal Flutie. Like, let's think about how horrifying it is and, and how intentionally they took Xander out of that scene. Yes. So oh, that yes. Xander did not eat the principal. Wait, he was he was trying to rape Buffy instead. Is that better? He was. He was. I, I you know, I think yeah, considering <laughs> considering that he was not successful, but he would have been successful mm. in eating the principal. Yes. That's Yeah, that's I guess you're right. I I will say this is as you know, terif- as awful as that is, and you are right, that is Beth, what is happening in that scene? Uh, I will never fear for Buffy's life if her opponent is Xander Harris. No, <laughs> no, or or anybody's really. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, should, I mean, I, and I love him, but it's that's never going to be a fight. <laughs> you know, so so it's okay. We get later, and it's Spike. That's a whole different story. But yeah, we're no. It, this isn't. You know, it's not. It's not a fight. She could land. You know, all she's thinking is, please stop doing this, so I don't have to tear your head off. Right, and I think <laughs> I think that is what. You know, Xander's evil hyena spirit intentions aside, that really is the tone of the scene. It's not about what he, like, it's not about a threat to Buffy. That yeah. scene's not about that because we all know, like, that's not happening. Yeah, not, there's nothing, and, and what she's trying to do is not hurt him. Right. 
Exactly. Well, you know, because because she's a superhero and she could just lay him out, you know. Um, uh, and and yeah, so they definitely. I mean, I I defend the episode for a couple reasons. One, it features a song by one of my favorite bands, um, and I am always tickled when I hear it on the soundtrack. Um, I was making notes because I was. Well, wait, lay it down. It. Who is it? What's the song? Uh, uh, Far uh, is a Sacramento band, um, uh, and the song when they're walking in slow motion is a song off their first proper record. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I, I just I know the lead singer, and he was one of the guys. He's the namesake for the main character in the movie I wrote, and uh, his music's actually in Dakota Sky. That's a story to be shared. Oh no! It's just um, it, it was my favorite. It's, it's, it's kind of uh, it's been called Farther from Sacramento. Kind of a um, I don't know proto emo emo band when that actually was like a cool thing and not sure. what it became. And um, they would tour with the Deftones, which are my favorite band on the planet. From and and, and everything. And then when we came to D- Dakota Sky, actually the the movie came to me while I was at a, a solo concert by the lead singer of the band, and. So I contacted him through his people and uh, asked permission to use a couple of the songs in the movie um, years years later, and I named the lead character after him, and uh, and he said yes, and uh, and then you know we kept kind of correspondence, and now we live in the same city about fifteen minutes apart from each other, um, and I don't see him very often, but it is kind of neat to be able to text this guy who I've been at shows like you know screaming in the front row moshing right. in front of him you know and now he's like you know lives around the corner that's a great story uh, but yeah so so whenever I actually I tweeted at him today that I was watching that episode and did he remember that and he's like I remember the moment uh, exactly where he's like I, I remember so clearly the moment I saw that that on our little TV screen in our practice space, you know, when they first, cause they were still a little band and they just had a little TV in their practice space and they they're like, Oh crap, our song's going to be on the show. Um, so I always have a stop over that. But while I was watching the, the episode and making notes, eventually I wrote, okay, it's not a good episode. <laughs> it just came to me. I was like, okay, it's not a good episode. I like it. Um, but it's, it's, it's not great. Um, some of the dialogue, the, the one note bullies, the kind of the, the bad kid crowd yeah. is a very, is a rarity in Buffy is a, uh, is the, the idea of the one note villain is something that the show doesn't usually indulge in, uh, unless they're like a pure evil demon or something. But the one note kind of evil human being is, you know, I mean, even, even Cordelia Chase has a, has three dimensions. Yeah. And, and they, and they don't, they do feel out of place even this early in Buffy. Yeah. Those characters feel odd. Yeah, they're very, I mean, and that would be one thing if they felt odd after they were turned into, again, hyenas. Right. Um, but, but they're <laughs> like that before. They feel weird before that. Yes. They, you know, and they, they feel just a very, like, down the middle, cool kid bully, um, casting. And, and, and knowing where the show goes after that, where even, you know, even other bullies that we meet in season two end up having more dimensions to them. Or always have a, a reason behind it, or always have at least some kind of human element to them. Right? They're they're, they're just very brutes. Yeah, they're very cookie cutter, and and that's that's my problem with the whole episode. Is they're the the metaphor is so heavy handed. There yeah. there's no dimension to the metaphor. It's just hormones make you crazy, and you yeah. can become a bully, and ugh, it's just so. I do have a question. Done. The hyena house is that a thing? Have you ever been to a I zoo and it's a, a fucking thing. hyena house? It, it is in Sunnydale. 
Especially right, not so. with some kind of African Maasai warrior guy. I love that's that guy. Get, that's when it just gets nuts. Yeah, that guy gets, is yeah. my favorite part of the whole thing. When when Giles, uh, it was it Giles and Willow's have, Willow have gone yes. to talk to him, I think. <laughs> And that guy just starts rattling stuff off. And to us, the audience, it is very clear that he is a problem. But to Giles, he's like, oh, you're unusually educated about these things. <laughs> yeah, I thought the one moment, and, and this goes the best point about about the, uh, the the how thick the metaphor is and how easy it is. But there is the moment where they're, where they're trying to explain to Giles that there's got to be something wrong with Xander. And he's like, let me get this straight. He's acting like a jerk. He's, you know, doing all these things and, and whatever. He's like, I think I know what's wrong. You know, he's a 16 year old hey, boy. Right, right. You know, and she's, he's like, uh, he's like, oh, I know what's happened to him. He's turned into a 16 year old boy. 16 year old boy. You must kill him. You'll have to kill him. They, <laughs> have to kill him. Um, they acknowledge it is that, the problem in the dialogue. Yeah, it is that testosterone is a rabbit hyena. That's yes. pretty much the, the metaphor that they're doing. Um, and it is and, laid and on. Never go to a hyena house. Never go to a hyena house. So Never. the so the pack, uh, not great, but I, I can still no. enjoy it. I don't I, I don't it. fast forward through it. I don't skip it. No. Uh, but next we come to Angel, yeah. who to some of us is the dreamiest of the dreamy, and others of us is nothing more than an annoyance. Uh, <laughs> I think he's an annoying dream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's so let's talk about Angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know. Okay, I'm trying to remember now because I'm I did just mainline all of these, and there are a few things that I've gotten a little mixed up uh, continuity wise. This is the episode where she finds out he's a vampire. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and also and, that uh, we find, and also find out about his curse. Yes, all that in one episode. Yes, we, we find out. We find out uh, that, and, and it's funny because they in this episode, you know, they go over the curse and they talk about how Angelus was, oh, he was the scourge of Eastern Europe or whatever, but it doesn't feel as heavy now as it later does. Like we really don't. Uh, they defined very clearly later on just how bad Angelus is. Yes. Uh, here yes. we just you just get a feeling. Oh, he was a bad vampire, but now he's a good vampire. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's uh, it is the beginning of what I would say is the most iconic storyline in the whole show. Yes. Um. Uh. You know, despite haters on the other line here, but, uh, there's still like Buffy and angel is the Electra in daredevil of the show. You know, it's, it's the main, it's the, I think the, the, the season two storyline with the two of them is the most iconic of the series. For sure. And this is the beginning of that. It's the beginning of, of their love story. It's the beginning of the revealing him as, as, as the vampire. Um, it gets a little more into vampire mythology, the, um, and it just, yeah, it, it starts a lot of things in motion. I don't know if it's an incredibly great episode as it stands. Well, it's, it's very heavy it's on exposition. Episode. Yes. It's a very important episode. Um, so, Hater, what's your problem? Um, <laughs> well, first, before I get into this whole angel thing, I did want to bring up that watching this again, I finally understood why later Warren, Andrew, and Jonathan have to go by the trio. 
because the three gets taken in this episode. It does. Because oh, that, that yes. Fucking, that fucking irritating kid calls in the three to take Buffy out. Right. Yep. Yeah, and that's interesting because uh, th- this really – not only does this establish Angel, it establishes a lot more about the Master's plot and what's going on with him. And we and the, who we forgot to mention, the Anointed One who came into existence during <laughs> Never Kill a Boy. Yes, that's right. That that oh, little yeah. kid, which – Who is completely ineffectual in every single yeah. way. Never yeah. Never does anything. That's the At least the master eventually does something. They they that's, were yeah. That's it's just a it's a shotgun. It's, it's the first season. They're shotgunning it right. Yeah. They're just they're blasting out as much as they can and seeing what sticks. And and the concept was oh, wouldn't it be shocking if the bad guy was a little kid? Yeah, and, except we did that. We did that with Kirsten Dunst a couple years before. Oh, yeah, true. In, va- in vampire related stuff, no less. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like we we saw the little kid vampire with Kirsten Dunst done done way better. So, but. uh Without getting, without going beyond season one, yeah. What, Beth? What are your feelings on season one, Angel? He's so stalkery, and he's. So, I mean, he's basically just a pussy. Was it episode one? He says, uh, "Because I'm afraid." Well, yeah. Buffy's a sixteen-year-old girl who's not immortal, and she's going so. Yeah, they're they're still trying to figure him out, though. They, they're still trying to figure Angel out at that point. Well, I think I here here's the feeling that I get is that they know obviously during season one they know there's going to be a Buffy Angel love story, but over the course of season one they're trying to figure out why. I, I think they knew there wanted there to be this love story, but I don't think they knew exactly why they would be in love because it is initially kind of you're you're right he's stalkery and creepy initially because it's like he's this centuries old vampire why is he crushing on this little girl and they have to fl- they have to sort of retroactively flesh that out because just in this first season it's pretty weird like if it, he it if he forced. wasn't if he wasn't hunky and dreamy like if he was a fat ugly guy how <laughs> how 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 would this well, be no, received but- but that's the point. He's hunky and dreamy to her. I well, mean, that's... like I say, I mean, obviously they had a plan for him because otherwise they wouldn't have tried to shoehorn this love story in there any way they could. <laughs> but it bothers me that they have this plan for him, but we're not privy to any of that. We just see a guy forcing his attention on this little girl. Well, like Chad said, though, it, you know, going back to that pilot, Angel's not in it. So I think... He, he well, he's in the not in the yeah he's not in the presentation. He, the right, yeah, yeah. right, right. The the original. So I think he was kind of like once this thing was greenlit. I think there's a chance that you know Joss Whedon and the writers were like, okay, let's figure out this vampire love interest thing. And, well, you and need I, to throw more balls in the air, as many balls in the air as you can. Yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. And and they're feeling it out over the course of the season. It is a little weird and awkward, but. So much of the show is a little weird and awkward for this first season. As much of it is wonderful, it's yeah. definitely, as we've kept saying, it's finding its way. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I, I, I don't find the age difference problematic, but it is significant and interesting that it was like never really controversial, you know? Um, right. Or whatever. I, I mean, even if the thing is, even if I, I don't believe Angel was made a vampire when he was a teenager. 
right? No, so he was he was, he was probably least, still in his twenties. Yeah, he was at least early twenties. Yeah, and she's sixteen. So even if he's frozen at twenty-two, that's still she's still, still gross. sixteen. <laughs> right, you right. Um, that's that's so still that's still my boyfriend drives a van and listens to metal. See, but, it, it, but for some reason, and maybe it's a Dakota Sky thing, it doesn't bother me. It just doesn't, and and it it, it never it. Looking at it now, objectively, of course, you're like, wow, that's weird. But watching it, it never bothered me, ever. Uh, well, it's, like, it's, it's not even that he's a vampire. It's not even that he's hundreds of years older than her. It's it's that... He's a grown-up. He's a grown-up. She's a little kid. He's a vampire. He should just damn know better. But it's one of those you, things... You know that somebody's mom is going to call the cops. It's one of those things, though, that... Like I was talking about before, when you have characters in story, your suspension of disbelief or your willingness to go along with something is different. And and because of what they do establish in this show, my willingness to go along with that love story is different. Yeah, the one thing that I, I want to point out is there is a mention in that scene um, when, for some reason, Angel spends the entire day in Buffy's room. Um, yeah. That, uh, and at that point, she doesn't know he's a vampire, so he's just uh, hanging in no, her he's room. Some dude in my closet. He's just chilling out. Um, but he, she mentions her diary and whether or not he was reading her diary. And that's one of like three mentions fairly early on of Buffy having a diary. Um, there may be an episode, there may be something where Dawn reads her diary later. Probably. They make a reference. But it always struck me as weird because I think they finally came to it, but Buffy's not a girl who keeps a diary. Right. Like yeah. It just doesn't. It doesn't. When she's like, "Did you read my diary?" I'm like, "No, that's a Saved by the Bell plot." That's not. <laughs> you know, I mean, and that's the line they're trying to find. Well, is and- what kind of teen show are they at this point? And in, in in things like uh, diaries, or later in the pu- uh, puppet show with a talent show. Right. That's stuff that happens in Bayside, not Sunnydale. Yeah. Well, you know? and his, All right, I, his... I will put I will put my angel hate aside for now. We'll come back to it in later episodes. And and that's fine. His and it's his response to did you read my diary is oh no I hid in the closet and watched your mom while she was in here. <laughs> she moved while she cleaned up. Yeah, like that's somehow less creepy. So um, moving on from Angel, uh, I, I robot. It's a, good ep- it's a good episode. It yeah, really it is. is. It's a solid episode and establishes a lot. Uh, I robot you, Jane. Straight up bad, bad episode. I'm going to grab a cigarette. <laughs> but I will say this about it. Uh, its use of the internet, I oh, think is very – no, no, no. I think it's very forward thinking for the time. This is 1997 and some of the applications that they're attributing to the internet at the time are absurd and now are – Pretty reasonable. Like, this episode, as shitty as it is, would be a movie now. I I more took note of the character, what was his name, Fritz? The one who talked like he was quoting directly out of a William Gibson novel. That guy was so bad. The the getting jacked in or yeah, whatever yeah, 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 it was. Yeah. Just, ugh. Yeah. We can agree God, this is the level of season one, right? What's that? Yeah. We can agree this is a low point of season. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then the, the form, uh, that the demon takes at the end of the cobbled together. Now granted, <laughs> the, I, I the would, predator. <laughs> I would totally, oh, Scott, I didn't rewatch it. So everything you're saying to me is gibberish. Right I now. would totally buy an action figure of that thing, but it on screen, it is just, it's, I mean, it's not even, well, it probably is sci-fi quality. 
And and you no, know what? It, it looks like somebody crossed RoboCop with Predator. Yeah, it's it's really bad. It's painful. Willow is just while I don't think it's a bad story for Willow. I think the execution was just so bad because she seems so pathetic in this. It's, and, it's uh, almost kind of a companion piece to the pack in where the pack is a, an episode that gave Xander a story. Right. For the first time yes. where really gave Xander kind of a front and center story. This was the first time they gave Willow a, a front and center story. And, and it's but, kind but of the, the beginning pack, of that. Yeah. The pack didn't make Xander pathetic. I no, I'm not saying that. I just Willow mean the idea of concentrating on the quote, the supporting cast. Right, right. Um, they they just the could have done sides. more for her. Well, oh, but no, again, they're still feeling the character out. They're still yeah. feeling out, you know, they, they've, uh, they've got Buffy. She's pretty solid at this point, but the supporting cast, they're still figuring out how to write these people. They're still it's figuring a, out how to make them effective and interesting. It took them three and a half years to figure out she liked girls. Right. Now, although there is, a, there is a hilarious, uh, later in this season, there's a hilarious moment where Xander says, I, I think if, uh, Willow was macking on Buffy. She's she's got a long game plan in mind. Like there's a, there's oh, a reference. There? It's it's oh really yeah, I funny. remember that. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. it's it's yeah. a good. I I honestly couldn't bring myself to rewatch iRobot. I think it's I've bad. literally seen it once. I, and I don't blame you at all. And it's not as someone who's seen the entire series. I guess not entire series, but seen the series multiple times. I, I've only seen it once, maybe twice. It's it's not important to the series or the plot or anything. Uh, so, but it unless, is significant to point out that it is the first kind of Willow. Yes, episode. It's the first um, Willow episode, and I, like I said, I, I do think it's a very interesting usage of of the internet and a little ahead of its time in that way. And I do like Giles's speech at the end about uh, to Miss Calendar about books having a smell. Oh, that's right. We introduced. I, I've always felt that way. We introduced Ginny Calendar, who's one of my personal favorite ladies oh, okay. on the show. Therefore, therefore, this okay. This is is this her first episode? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. This episode now has merit. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, because she is absolutely fantastic. Uh, this is where we drop the Van Halen in on the soundtrack, and we will uh, next episode of Buffy. Uh, we will discuss more about Jenny Calendar. Uh, next is the Puppet Show, which I love the Puppet Show because I love anything having to do with creepy ventriloquist dummies, and. I just love this concept of this monster hunter trapped in this puppet body. I love the misdirect at the beginning, which this season, the episodes where they do misdirects like which and like this one, they're done so skillfully and with so much fun because we're still expecting a lot of standard stuff from this show. So when we sit down and watch Witch, we think, oh, this girl's a witch. Or we think, oh, this this puppet is the evil bad guy. And it's so much fun to follow the story and to find out, oh, he's not. He's just a perverted old guy stuck in this puppet body. Can we admit it, it is, however, the second best Whedon television show episode about puppets? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll get to it that. Is not, it does not rank compared to, oh, God, we got another five episodes to go. We can do Angel. Yeah, um, we do. We're going to have to do an Angel cast, too. Uh, yeah, I, I will say, I actually don't care for this episode that much. Um, I don't either. It's, it's fine. Uh, like I said, the talent show part always always felt silly to me. Why would Giles be running the talent show? Um, 
and and like I said, it felt more like a full house setup. Well, it's because we have the the vindictive new principal Armin <laughs> Shimerman, yes. who, who is was, absolutely fantastic. Yes, but his 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 way of punishing people is by having them just do random tasks. Yes, <laughs> which is totally fine. You know, it's like in season two, it's like Buffy, uh, you help out with parent teacher conference. That'll get you. Yes, you know? it's it's so bizarre, but um, but it just felt like the whole talent show thing. It just. It doesn't feel like it belongs on Buffy. It feels like it belongs on other teen shows or other high school shows. But the result oh. is the fantastic presentation <laughs> of the t- the tag at the end of the episode. The tag at the end is absolutely my favorite part. Is <laughs> yes. them doing terrible sophocles. <laughs> it's <is> amazing. Wonderful. <laughs> um, you know, them standing up there and doing that. And and the thing is, that is the only end credit tag I think the show ever did. Yes. Yes, uh, it is, which is shows just how funny they thought it was, and they were right. Or how experimental they were being as well, how they were still Well, not, yeah, that's a good point. You know, because every – a lot of shows do it now. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. always has one at the end. You know, I mean, they yeah. – obviously with Marvel movies and everything, if people have come to expect it. But that was the only time that they ever did that. Except, I mean, I guess kind of the end credits of Once More the Feeling are different because they're playing different music or whatever. Right, but right. Um, but it's not really. I mean, it is it is the only time where they ever did that little kind of credit sting at the end. And, and I, it, I, it, to, to great effect, I mean, you know. I feel very much like it was, this is too hilarious for us to not include, yeah. but we don't really have a place to put it, yeah. and that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you could draw a direct line from that scene to shawarma. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but I, I, I really dig this episode. It's, it's not essential in any way. Uh, but I do, I like the way it's done. I, I like the, obviously the, and you know what? Once again, it's opening this world up more. Oh, there are more than just slayers out there. There's more yes. than just what's happening in Sunnydale. There is a larger world beyond this, even though we, we won't ever really see much of it. Uh, there's more out there, and I, I dig that. I dig it for that. There are, there are, as the season goes on, there are also more hints of that bigger, that bigger world as well. Yes, yes, yeah. The, what, whether they were intentional or not, you know, like doesn't matter. But you know, whether they were just lines to throw in there to make things think, you know, to make seems things sorry seem a little bigger, um, or they were plans. Who knows? But there are definitely seeds of bigger things to come. Something I want to mention real quick before we move on to Nightmares, uh, or actually really is part of Nightmares because it's one of the episodes that displays it uh, fairly well. Uh, visually, this show is very, very dark. Uh, I don't know if it's in need of – because I'm watching the DVDs. Um, well, the first two seasons of Buffy were shot on 16-millimeter film, unlike – all other television at the time, which would be shot on 35. Mm-hmm. So if you know anything about film, that means it's got half the information of a normal film. Okay. Uh, that was a budgetary thing. Sure. So when you watch season three, there's a noticeable leap in quality of the picture. Okay. Because uh, they finally went to 35 millimeter film. So 16 millimeter film is going to be a little grainier, a little darker. Um, you know, it just doesn't have as much room and therefore as much resolution or information. 
as something that was shot in 35. Well, that, I mean, that really clears that up because watching, yeah. I, have always noticed this, but I, I definitely wanted to mention it this time. It really does. It really permeates the second season as well. The second season, I think they found better way. They got better at it. Right. At using it, but it is still, yes, yeah, 16 millimeter, which is very unusual, but it was a way for this show to actually, I mean, they probably couldn't have even made the first season because, you know, they were yeah, trying they're... to cut corn, trying to find the money anywhere they can. And one was, let's shoot it on cheaper film stock. There, there are times. Times where you can't even tell what's going on when they're in yeah. crypts or underground or whatever. Yeah, and it's you just you, you can't tell. Yeah, so there's yeah, just not enough detail in in the in the film. Okay, well there you go. I'm glad I brought it up because now yeah. I know a thing. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. Uh, so nightmares. <laughs> uh, I think absolutely fantastic episode. I thoroughly enjoyed seeing. Everybody's nightmares. It's a lot of, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where they have a great combination of humor and horror going throughout this episode. We get vampire Buffy, which is great. We get, we get Xander punching out a clown, which is great. That part's great. Uh, It is. What now? Everyone can make a a giraffe. Since you guys did not provide a round of applause when I said I love this one, I'm going to assume that you don't feel the same way. What, uh, what are your feelings on nightmare? Beth, let's, uh, start with you on this one. I'm torn because parts of it I really love, like the the part with Giles sitting down next to Buffy's grave saying it's his nightmare and then Buffy getting up and being a vampire and, and even, you know, Willow's nightmare about being on stage and Xander's clown nightmare gives us a little more information about their characters and stuff. But the build up to it with like the, the biker guys in the hallway and somebody's his one of his moms comes up and starts talking to him like he's a little baby and there there's parts of it that are just so silly and you know there's another damn kid in it <laughs> and then and then the sappy damn ending with the i just had a dream and you were there and you were there yeah Who but are that's, you guys uh, come on you can't fault a wizard of oz reference can you <laughs> I, I absolutely can oh, she just did i believe she did she did you're right <laughs> it's, right. it's being you're recorded right. yeah i found the part that this- i love <laughs> This episode was the biggest surprise to me in rewatching these. Um, I I was watching and I realized I didn't remember a damn thing about it. Like if for some reason, this is an episode that I've obviously seen but never returned to more than once or twice. And and it was it was kind of like a new episode for me. It had, it had been so long. Interesting. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, the things that stuck out to me was it was one of two episodes with Buffy's father. Yes. Um, who I do believe is played by a different actor both times. Yeah, and the one in this one was fantastic though because holy shit was he cold. Yeah, and yeah, in the in the, in the her worst her, her nightmare. That scene. was yeah, brutal. Yeah, that that's a brutal scene. That that is uh, uncomfortable to watch. It reminded me of that scene in season 2 in Innocence with Angel and Buffy, but um it was uh an, it was really a surprise, I guess. Um it was but but it, and it always remi- it made me thinking about her dad, this guy who is a day player, two different actors in two different episodes. And then mentioned maybe five times, yeah, in the whole series, and how inconsequential that character is, and that they never made an attempt to to do anything. You know, that's one thing about the presentation that I noticed: there's no, there's no Joyce, there's no mom either. Um, and I, I love Joyce. I think Joyce is a big part of the show and a, a big heart of the show. And yeah, they. Uh, so for for the dad to be so, I understand the you know, divorce, but again, it goes towards that thing. Buffy blames herself 
for it. What 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 does she blame her parents' divorce on? Her trouble she got into burning down the school, right? And 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 basically, this is another thing that she f- blames her destiny for ruining. Yes. Right. Her, another you know, another case of she can't have nice things. She can't. She can't have nice things. Her, <laughs> her her calling, in her mind at least, ruined her parents' marriage. Yeah. You know, and that's you know, and, and again, that goes for the you know, uh, my parents are still together, but I you know, parents of divorce who feel or kids of divorce who you know, you know the the whole it's not your fault thing, which is true. It's not the kid's fault, but a lot of kids feel at fault, and in this, this is that kind of you know, amped up and to the point where her father. In you know, possessed by dream spirits or whatever, flat out tells her it's her fault. Yeah, it's um, it is it is a it's one of the standout Buffy's life is horrible moments of the series. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and it's just and, 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 and how brutal is that uh, that the kid gets beaten into a coma by his coach? That seems overly yeah, brutal for where we're at in the series. Yeah, that's like Veronica Mars shit. That's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's hey. actually a fair point. You, you, but, uh, there's there's three episodes there, by the way, that you know we'll have to we'll have to call in Best Husband for that one though. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I I found it to be a really uh, entertaining episode. Um, there is a, a line that I wanted to point out when they're, they when they first figure out that their dreams are coming true. It's. They're nightmares, but someone says dreams, and Giles says dreams. That would be a musical comedy version of this. <laughs> um, these are nightmares. You know, if this was dreams, it would be a musical comedy. So, little, you know, obviously not actual foreshadowing, but it works that way. But um, kind of. But it, but it, it does work that way. Yeah. So, uh, and there are similar structures of stories where it's some kind of supernatural forces making people act differently. Going into the final two episodes of the season, yep. I was surprised to discover that the 11th episode was the one about the invisible girl and that the finale was not a two-parter as I had been expecting all season. Nope. Uh, and the one about the invisible girl, not, not great. Not my favorite. And it's, no, this is where I disagree. I like this one. Oh, really? It's, I, yeah. I don't mind it. It's got good and bad. Uh, I, I don't know what it is and it's not, you know, it's nothing about performances. I like the guest, uh, monster as it were. Uh, I can't remember her name right now, but that actress Clea, is Clea, du- Clea, yes, Duvall. Clea Duvall. She's been in tons of stuff and I, I'm always happy to see her show up. Uh, but this one just didn't resonate for me. And, and maybe it was what you guys talking about earlier that it's a little on the nose. Uh, it is. It, it it's almost too much for me. This is one of the ones that I can skip, and I did. Anything you guys <laughs> want to say about it? I do, but do you have anything, Beth? Um, so just a few things, because I am kind of torn on this episode, because I, I kind of like the idea of it, but again, the, the metaphor is so heavy-handed, and if I could turn invisible, I am not going to live in a high school ceiling. No matter how badly I want to kill Cordelia, fuck revenge, I will be at the Ritz. Well, and the, yeah, that's a good point too. Is is why is she at the you know school has not been nice to her. She's not a no. fan of it. Why is that where she's chosen to to hang out? But it's to because out, it's to, Sunnydale. 
to relive all of this horror because she has tried to force herself into a group of people who clearly hate her. And yet she just keeps pushing. So no wonder they get hostile. Well, they don't hate her. Um, they just don't acknowledge her. Well. Which yes. is even worse. It's high, school, worse. Same, yeah. it's high school. Same thing in her head. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I also want to want to know why do all the school activities happen in a damn club? Why are they always talking about going to the, the bronze for coronations and, and dances? Because they've got and, like three sets. Well, and also because because there's certain things like the bronze is a central locale. It's it's where for like like Chad was just saying, they only have so many sets for budget reasons. They only had one hallway at school. They would just redress (laughs) it. Seriously, they had one school hallway, and they would just shoot in different directions and dress it differently. Which is why, and and we'll get to it, but why in season two, it's holy shit where they have an actual... They get a second They have an outside? Yeah, yeah. And they actually get a second hallway. Yeah. Joss even mentions that in the commentary And a vending machine. Season two where he's like, <laughs> he's like, this season we got another hallway. It was awesome. We could turn the corner without cutting. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, they don't have, they don't have a whole lot of places to go. They have the bronze. They have just parts of Buffy's house. You don't see a whole lot of Buffy's house in well, this episode, really. Oh, you do an angel, I guess. An angel you do see at the house. And honestly, yeah. isn't really isn't that sort of a part of these teenage shows to have that almost aspirational place of, wow, this is the cool club where the kids hang out. I never had anything like that, but I like watching people do this. Like it's the the peach pit. It's yes. You know, it's the hangout. It's, it's, it's central perk on friends. It's just, it's the place where (laughs) the people meet and, and, and don't drink alcoholic beverages. It's, it's the, yeah, right. It's the place where, that's not at somebody's home and it's not the school. It's really what it comes down to. They have school <laughs> or Buffy's house okay. or a cemetery or the bronze. Well, and, and, like, the, and also this season specifically, they the needed crimes. a MacGuffin for where the Hellmouth was going to be. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll let, yeah. I'll let yeah. that slide then because that is yeah. correct. Cause it totally um, the, like, as soon as they said it's the bronze, well, of course it's the center of teenage of sand everything. in the town. Although we see very little of that, but yeah. you know, uh, all, all, all we that, see is Cordelia dancing with a couple of guys. The one thing that really disappointed me about this episode was because of the kind of X Filesy ending that never went anywhere ever again. I was extremely disappointed, and and I'll I will jump ahead a bit. I was extremely see, I, disappointed in season four that uh, we did not get a return of the Invisible Girl with the uh, what the fuck ever it's called. I can't remember the initiative. The initiative. initiative. I agree with you, although I do think uh, one thing I point out is it, it, that is the first moment that opens us up to the idea of something like the initiative. Yes. You know, it does open it to the world where the government is aware of these things. Yes. Yes. The government are, you know, so it, it is the first step towards that. I, I actually really like this episode. I, I agree with everything um, that you say that's wrong about it, yet screw you, I don't care. Um, <laughs> First of all, one reason I like it is that, and I mentioned this earlier, I'm a Cordelia fan, so oh yeah, this is the first episode that starts to round Cordelia, Cordelia out a little bit. Um, and I'll say it, it's if if uh, iRobot is the Willow episode and Pack is the Xander episode, out of mind, out of sight is actually the Cordelia episode. What's the one that really brings her into it? It kind of brings her into the gang at least a little bit. It gives her a little bit of a more uh, like I said, it gives her uh, some depth. There's the great moment at the end where she thanks them for saving her. 
But then the, her friends come up and say, "Why are you talking to these losers?" And she's like, "Ah, oh, just being charitable." And she walks off. Yeah. <laughs> but you can tell. But you can tell that she's faking it. And uh, when she has that reaction, like there's, and that's something that's going to play out all through season two. Is her her um, actual not love or like, but her actual like inclusion with these people, and yet also not wanting to be seen with these people um, type of thing. Uh, so I really like the fact that it, it has a lot more. Uh, that's Cordelia, and it has the the great line where Cordelia is talking about how um, this thing trying to kill her is evil, way eviler than me. I believe yeah. she says, um, <laughs> yeah. which I think the great line um, because it, to that point she is almost that one dimensional bully. You know, in the pilot, she is such a horrible human being in that pilot to Willow and yeah. you know, to everyone and Jesse and everybody. So to actually give her. You know, again, it's it's the process of rounding out. You know, Angel rounds out Angel, and, and so it's almost like they have in this first season specific episodes to give us that a handful of episodes that focus. Obviously, Buffy's still the lead, but who give us a lot of time with supporting characters with the with the regulars still all the regular they're all regulars. Well, and the process is very real because you know Cordelia is any high school bitch. Yeah, but she has life experiences. She's a- person things change she we find out that that's an exterior that she put on because of her environment and when her environment starts to change and her experiences start to change she uh you know doesn't change but different parts of her start to come forth and and that is oh that speech she gives about uh being alone in a room full of people is so cliche of course. It's just terrible. No, I'm not saying it's great. I, again, it's more just I appreciate it for its its uh, attempt to bring Cordelia into the fold um, because it is a character that I do grow very fond of uh, as the second season and third season and then all the way through through Angel. Yeah, if, um, uh, at the beginning of this season, would you have ever, you know, if you had watched yeah, these Watch the pilot of Buffy and watch like her last episode of Angel. And, and, and imagine not even the same person ever had no. the feelings no. that, I mean, it's amazing. But it's great. It's, yeah, although it's in season two, she's involved in one of my favorite love stories of the show. Oh, and so, yes. um, uh, that I think is fantastic. So, I mean, I, I was a fan of her from the beginning. Um, uh, you know, she was 27 when they made the pilot, which is she that makes her, I think, the Gabriel Carteris of the show. I was uh, uh, I was a fan of Charisma Carpenter. I can't say I was a fan of Cordelia. Uh, I'm a fan of both. I'm a fan of both. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of both. So I, that's what I liked about that one. Yeah, the the metaphors are really, 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 really obvious. Um, but I do think it's still a uh, it, I'm going to use this word, word a lot, but I still think it's an archetypal episode. I do think it is a, yes. a um, even if the execution isn't there, or even if it's a little heavy, it still is a Buffy episode, um, which some of these episodes are not. It, it feel it's a Buffy story. Um, it it, it, it leaves not too much. It's a little off. You know, it's it's the, the some of the writing in this, and there's a lot of the writing in the whole first season that. That made my jaw drop and how bad it was. Like it felt like it should be on Say by the Bell. Sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, every once in a while it's brilliant, and then every once in a while you're like, wow. And they're still trying to to find what kind of show that they are. But well, I honestly, I honestly don't even know that it's necessarily bad writing as them not being entirely sure who they're writing to, because well, I think as the show goes on, it becomes very much more. We're writing this to be a good show as opposed to we're writing this for anybody to like it. 
Well, you, know you watch I mean? the first couple of episodes, and there's a lot of, uh, especially in the pilot, where these girls are using like made up slang, right? Right. And and you kept you kept wanting to say, you know, stop making fetch try to happen, you know, it's a totally mean girl, <laughs> you know, yeah. where it's like, and they they realize that right away, like that's gone after like three episodes. Yes, that you know, and and they're like, and I think they made the conscious decision. Everyone's just going to talk like Joss talks, <laughs> <laughs> which you know, works. They said that, and, which and, works and all much. The other, yeah, uh, works much better than everyone talks like Brian Michael Bendis talks. <laughs> right, yeah, but he's just like everyone's gonna talk like Joss talks. All the writers know how to write like how Joss talks. Right, right. Um, they all have this, you know, especially when Marty Noxon comes in. Marty Noxon's very good at imitating Joss's voice. She's not as good as him, but she's good at imitating his voice. And Jane yeah. Espenson and all the great writers that really don't show up till season two. They they just go. Everyone's just gonna talk like Joss. You know, everyone's gonna talk. <laughs> everyone on the West Wing talks like Aaron Sorkin, and everyone on the Buffy talks like Joss, and that's completely fine. Um. So and and actually I. Th- it's interesting to look at the list of writers for this season because really David Greenwald is the only standout of like what yep. I think of as the classic Buffy writers. Yep. Uh, he's the only one here this season. Yeah, he wrote Teacher's Pet and Angel. Uh, so moving on to our season finale, Prophecy Girl. Oh, yeah. Which is amazing and so much more than I was expecting it to be uh, the first time that I watched it because there's so much feeling in this thing. My gosh. Uh, when Giles, she's not going, I'm, I'm going to face the master. Uh, no, you idiot. What? You're not even <laughs> equipped for that. Again, mortal danger for no reason. Right. Well, no, but yeah. for very good reason because he Giles, cares. Giles did something stupid. Well, yes. he's just being dumb. But he cares noble about and her dumb. And but he's dumb out of love. He feels he feels even though he shouldn't because he's the watcher. She's the slayer. It's how things are. It's how things have always been. But he feels responsible for what's happening to her. I mean, when at the beginning, the awkwardness at the beginning of the episode, we you know we as the audience don't yet know. That he has found out that Buffy's gonna die, but when she shows up and he's so weird, and, oh Buffy, there you are, huh? Hey, like his uh, his acting is the greatest thing about this episode to me because oh, I it I is strongly. Uh, there is somebody who blows him out of the water in this episode. Well, go for it. Her name is Sarah Michelle Gellar. And- <laughs> <laughs> this, she gives in this in this episode one of her two or three best performances of the entire series. Uh, she is fantastic, and there's the will no it, doubting the will that. Will it hurt monologue when she quits? She is, is one of my favorite things in the history of the show. And is, is when she finds out she's going to die, and the entire what I've been talking about her not wanting to be the Slayer, her not having chose this, her just wanting a normal life, all comes to a head in that scene where she just breaks down. And, you know, the line that always destroys me, I'm only 16 years old. I don't want to die. And the, the whole thing about the Slayer is Buffy already knows this. They don't, they don't become spinsters. They don't live to be old ladies. Right. You know, they're, they're always going to die young. And she knows that. 
and so her pull into this world, her pull into this thing that she just doesn't, she just wants to have a boyfriend and, and talk about clothes and, and graduate from school and not have her mom think she's a, a delinquent and have friends and all this stuff. None of that matters, um, because this prophecy is telling her that she has to die. And when she overhears that, her performance in that scene, um, you know, is to me the highlight of season one by like three or four miles. And also, I think one of the highlights of her performance in the entire show. I think I'm it's, not. It's, I'm not disagreeing with you about yeah. her performance being incredible. Yeah. But everything that she says, while she she delivers it so well, we've known for the whole season so far. We know all of these things. Yeah. To me, but, what really sold the peril was Giles' reaction to it. Right. Because no, and that, yeah, for the Angel first as well. time, for, yes, Angel as well. For the first time, Giles is scared for her, truly yeah. and legitimately. Uh, you know, there are other times. Oh, Buffy, be careful. You know, whatever. This time, I mean, he's he's so scared. He's going to do the dumbest thing imaginable and go face this. Horrible super vampire, super yeah. vampire with somewhat vaguely defined super vampire powers. Well, and this but, is another uh, reason why the dad is such a non-character. Yes, right, is because Giles is her dad. Exactly. And so you know, we, you have to make sure that that bond has been established by then, so that it doesn't ring false. And you this is the reaction. episode that fully establishes that bond. Yeah, uh, and that's why his performance to me is what is really remarkable. And yes, hers no, is great. absolutely fantastic. But as far as selling the story and selling the peril, he's the guy that does it. Uh, but everybody, like everybody puts their best foot forward in this one. Uh, Willow and Xander are absolutely fantastic in their sort of helplessness. There's nothing that they can do really, but they want to, and they're trying to help and figure things out, but they know they're just, people they aren't slayers they aren't even watchers they're just kids trying to do something and then once again we get cordelia <laughs> who ends up helping out in hilarious ways yes yes uh when she pulls up in her car like kurt russell like it's just, and it's not her intention to be that way, but she's that. I'm here just in the nick of time to save your asses. Like, but it's sort of not because it's Cordelia. Like that moment is hilarious. And then where is it? The library. All right, here we yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> we normally walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think what this episode also does is it it firmly establishes the template of the finales. Yes, you know it. It. it the every not every finale, but most of the big season finales are going to be um, uh, very much like this episode. They're, they get bigger, they get bigger in scope, or they get bigger in emotion, you know. But it really does kind of set up how a, a Buffy finale should go. Yes, everybody has a thing to do. Yeah, and they're all yeah. critical. Yeah, and, and then they Buffy's, come together, and beat the bad guy. Buffy's going, and to, then a monster comes out of the library floor. And Buffy's going <laughs> to die. Ish. <laughs> yeah. Buffy dies ish, yeah. I mean, and yeah, and that is that the culmination of that idea early in the episode with Buffy being destined to die. And, you know, the prophecy is a clunky kind of hacky thing, um, asked George Lucas, but the, um, but what it really is is a concrete way to express the cold hard fact about being the Slayer. 
you know, mm-hmm. that, that she's not going to live to be an old woman. And so this is that, you know, we, you, as you get later in the show, they make jokes, you know, Buffy dies twice. Um, uh, you know, so her, her death in this is, you know, it's important. It's, it's a, it's a big deal. Uh, obviously it has ramifications for character, new characters that we meet in the sub- subsequent seasons. Um, but I just, I think this episode is just perfect. Um, I think it's the moment where, in the other 11 episodes, like we said, you could see, okay, that's really good. That piece is really good. That piece is really good. Uh, you know, this is where they like figured it out and yes. put it all together in a way. And it's telling that this is the first episode other than the, the presentation directed by Joss Whedon. Uh, yeah. And one bit of direction. Uh, and I would love to know exactly how they determined the way to shoot this, the way for the stunt person to do it. Uh, when Buffy's dead, she's dead. The master tosses her into the puddle like an empty soda can. Yeah. Uh, she is dead as a fucking doornail, and that shot is devastating. Yeah. And and it, I, I just I would love to know what went into figuring that out because you don't get that impactful a shot just from okay we're gonna stick the camera there let's do it. Uh, and the master, the master is fantastic because the initial confrontation, uh, uh, leading up until when he drinks her blood, he is, for the first time in the entire season, he is the unstoppable supervillain. You, you see, there's nothing she can do. It's over. Can you, can you name the other two vampires that bit Buffy? Only three have ever bit her. Uh, not off the top of my head, no. Yeah, Angel and Dracula. Oh yes, oh, Dracula. Of fucking course. Dracula. Master is the only one that did it involuntarily. Kind of, you know, that like where it was a right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Beth, what do you think about Prowzy Girl? Um, to everyone's surprise, I will actually agree with both of you <gasps> on the performances of Sarah Michelle Gellar and Anthony Stewart Head. Um, because they were both amazing and I really couldn't possibly choose one. But I would say this episode goes even further by cementing the characters of Xander and Willow much more so than the pack or iRobot ever could have. Because you see Xander get rejected and then you see Willow shoot Xander down. We get yes. so caught and, up in Buffy and Giles, I totally forgot that was the moment where I realized I was Xander. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, think, I, had to I think all dudes yeah. have felt like Xander at some point in their lives, from what I hear. I have oh. no idea. We talk about I've been Angel my whole life. Um, <laughs> yeah, one thing that about the other, what I liked about the moment, though, where she shoots him down, is that that's really the end of the Buffy-Xander love story. Yeah. He doesn't go stalkery. He he admits that okay she doesn't like me and he really does yeah he's still attracted to her as it goes on because she's a hot girl but the the end of them really the that that storyline that they have in the whole season one of Xander crushing on Buffy is done at that point well yeah he doesn't he still I think it's still there but he does not continue to be obsessed he never with her pursues it it he does never not turn out again right he it doesn't turn anything. creepy. No, he just, yeah. he's still thinks she's hot because look at her, she is, but he, he doesn't ever pursue it again. It really is the end of that I, story. Well, I think he's always in love with her. 
No, no, he is. But I mean, as far as like an actual love story. Oh, show, sure. Yeah. Narrative. Yeah. Where, yes, it's where they are alluding to that in season one, because right. in a, not a, you know, in a lot of shows that would be, you know, you have the, the dweeby friend who's in love with the girl. That's standard. And he shit. stays in love with her forever and he's chases her and, around forever. And, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's ducky. He's whatever. Right. But the, but the idea that, that when she says, I just don't feel, he kind of accepts that. Yeah. You know, in, in a way that, you know, you call Angel, Angel kind of stalkery. Um, Xander is the exact opposite in this case. He just goes, okay, I'm just going to go home, lay down, and listen to country music, the music of pain. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and he does. And he does, and it's awesome. But he, he it, it, it again, it, it, there's so many, so much of the characters in these first seasons was that they, they go to great lengths to make sure that, you know, they're good people. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't get angry at her. You know, like, he, you know, maybe in the moment he's upset and he's yeah, embarrassed. Yeah, I, I think in the moment he has that nice guy anger. Yeah, he's, yeah. I think he's, but he's, I think he's, you can tell he's not like super pissed off. I'm going to oh, go no, no. kill it's your not, mom. It's not, no. I hate you. That, that's what Angelus would do. It's yeah. that, yeah. I'm, I'm a nice guy. Why don't you like me? And maybe Riley. I never trusted Riley. Yeah, no, they, <laughs> um, no, I, I think that it is, it is definitely, it, it ends that storyline. Uh, which is good because that storyline's a little tedious, even just in the yeah. first. Yes, um, and and it's not all that interesting, and it's obvious from the moment Angel steps on screen for the first time, despite Beth not enjoying it. The first time Angel steps on the screen, you're like, okay, this guy's a love interest. Like you just, I, I, oh. it, you know, it doesn't matter if I liked it or not; it was going to happen. Yeah, no, I'm just like, but like he was the moment he stepped on screen. So Xander could always never be anything but the pining guy, right. and I'm glad that that does fade away. Um, and and uh, he gets that, that you're right. It does buck the trend because he ends up getting many of his own love interest storylines. Right, and not really in, t- in the second season. He actually starts dating someone. Yes, you know, and that and, that's and different. Uh, another thing I wanted to say that I didn't get to say earlier when we were talking about the master uh, was that the master always felt too diabolical. For the storylines that they were doing up until this episode. Yeah. This is the episode where he finally feels like he fits with what's happening in the story. Yeah. Because every other time he feels like he's, he's more evil than, than what they're talking about right now. And he's way more evil than that kid who doesn't do a damn thing. <laughs> yes. And, and even though the master ultimately doesn't end up, you know, doing anything horrible besides killing Buffy and murdering a young girl. He he still comes off perfectly evil for for what they were ultimately going for. Well, he had other uh, vaguely defined horrible plans. He also has a fruit punch mouth. <laughs> he does have fruit. Dude, that was a fantastic moment where he's using his Dracula voodoo powers, and and she sells it for a second. The last like, five minutes oh. of this of this episode are fucking amazing. Yes, it's just. It's the moment where it becomes. It's the only time in the entire show where they use the theme song in an episode. It's a little, oh, it it's so a little good. corny. It's a little corny. Come on, I it's a little corny, it. but I like it. It's yeah. because it's the end of the first season. Well, they it's, kept it's, doing it. It's corny, but it's earned. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it's like because you've been watching this show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and it's a theme song. It's a theme song that will make me happy and, and warm for the for my all of my days. Absolutely. But, but when um, but it, but when they play it again, there, it's like here she is. 
we've been spending all this time, like we figured it out or she's figured it out. She's going to, you know, even though she doesn't necessarily like her destiny, she's embracing it. And she's got such confidence, <laughs> um, which mirrors, I think, the confidence that the filmmakers or the television makers have in this episode. And then they carry on to the next couple seasons. Um, the next couple seasons are made with such, such confidence and so deftly and it all comes from this episode and i think buffy's confidence kind of you know that when she's when she comes back from the dead after the master kills her is just like all right i know where they're i know where they're going let's go kick the shit out of them you know and and you never doubt for a second that she's not going to you know um and of course you get i you know i may be dead but i'm still pretty um yeah <laughs> and the and the you know and the running gag about everyone liking her dress again more of a reminder of what she can't have. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. It's been a hit with everyone. It's been a big hit. It's been a big hit. But it, again, it's it's just more of a reminder of what she can't have. You know, um, in in and they keep running that. But uh, yeah, it's I don't know. I just I just think it's a great episode. It's one of my favorite. So final thoughts, season one. Uh, I. As we've been saying the whole time, it's it's a little bumpy, but overall it's a lot of fun, and we can see the development, we can see where everything's going, and we can see what they're trying and what's working and what's not. Uh, mostly worthwhile. Only two episodes that I'd say, for me personally, are passes, and I mean, you know, uh, uh, 10 out of 12 pretty good for a first season because if you think about other television shows there are some rocky first seasons out there uh for what would go on to become really good shows uh what do you what about you guys who wants to go first chad okay um so uh i agree with you it's a little rocky it's a little uneven uh i love the hell out of season one though um i i you know musically you know it's it's uh, it's that first Nirvana album, Bleach, before Nevermind comes around for season two, you know, where it's like you can tell what the band is going to be. It's not there yet. Um, it's not to that level. I know you're not a Nirvana fan, but it's not that. It's, it's like it's not up to that level, but you can tell what it's going to be, and all the pieces are there. And in the final episode, they they put it all together, you know, and everything is ready. You know, everything for everything that you need for the whole rest of the show is, is established in season one, even if it's established awkwardly, even if it's uneven. Um, the, the characters are set up. The structure of a standard episode is pretty well established by the time you get to the end of the season. The, the tone, the line between the comedy and the tragedy and the, how to execute them with equal skill and sometimes do them both within the span of five seconds. Uh, which is a trademark of the show, is, is established. The overarching story, the use of horror and supernatural elements as metaphors for life, all of that stuff is all in those these 13 episodes. And it's going to come together for season two and three um, in such a confident and sure way that, that you can't help but watch these episodes and just be excited about what's to come. Um, because when you get to the end of it, they got it. They got it figured out. You know, they you 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 are watching them figure out the show as it goes along. Beth, what I, about I, you? I love it. Uh, of course, it's bumpy, um, but it, it had from the get go the makings of a great series. I love that it it never spoon fed you anything. It expected you to just fall into this world, even if you'd never seen the movie. You were just supposed to accept that. Hey, there's vampires, and she's a slayer, and and that's just what we're going to do here. There's no 
let's walk you through all of this and set up what's going to happen. It just starts off with, well, here's what we're doing. And it builds the characters as it goes along rather than setting everything up for you in long expository episodes. It gives you that exposition in chunks that are much more digestible. And, you know, sometimes it, it falters here and there with it. But I think overall it's a great setup to a season and or a great setup to a series and much stronger than even I would say possibly season four, definitely season seven. Yeah, <laughs> oh, wow. I, it, it was also well. I was it was stronger than I remembered. I agree with that. Watching these episodes, yeah. I was surprised that even some of the fights were better than I thought they would be. Um, obviously, the fight choreography gets way better as the show goes on. But oh yeah. But even some of the fights I, I, I thought looked great. Um, but yeah, you're, it, it, I was surprised at how much of what I love is there. Um, but it, 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 it is grungy and low budget and feels it, you know? It can't hide that. Like, you know, you talked about how dark it is. I mean, you can't, it can't hide its low budget roots. But it you know? has, it, the heart shines through. The heart, the ideas, um, you know, uh, I, you know, Whedon tells a great story that when they were shooting the pilot, how they were doing the scene. Oh, one quick note in the presentation, the principal, principal Flutie is played by Stephen Tobolowski of Groundhog Day fame. Oh, wow. Um, Ned the head. Yeah, Ned the head. And, but there was a moment where she's with the principal, uh, and he's reading her, her rap sheet in the pilot, you know? Um, and, um, Joss was like looking through the monitor and it was a shot of Sarah and he just had this moment. He goes, Oh, okay. I've got a star in my hands. He could just see it like through the camera. You know, he said he had the same feeling like kind of with Hemsworth when they were making cabin in the woods, you know, but where you just see, see someone and go like, Oh, they've got it. You know, we don't have to worry about her. Right. She's right. Fine. You know, like we, we do not have to worry about our lead. She's going to be great. And he could just tell. And I think that you can tell she, she, if she was bad, it would be unwatchable. Oh yeah, know? she carries. She absolutely, you know, as good as everybody else is, she yeah. carries the show. But it takes time. Nicholas Brendan is very inexperienced when they when they do this, you know, when they make the show, and he he definitely gets better. Um, well, I think by the end of the yeah, season, but, he's Xander. But he's in prison now, isn't he? <laughs> Poor guy. Well, I'm not oh, talking about real yeah, life. I know he's. It's very sad. Uh, I know. Um, it's very I, sad. They, they should have taken care of him. More so than they should have worried about Buffy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, maybe, maybe so. But I just think they said on the, like they just know they had a star in their hands, and I think with Tony Head, they kind of like here's our secret weapon. Um, with 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 Giles, and and they and all they had to do was worry about, you know, yeah, they made some failed attempts at developing the side characters, but then you get you know into later seasons and they do a really great job of developing those characters. But I think you just you, you see the, a show. I mean, it's kind of like we're watching them do drafts, you know, of the of the episode of the you know we're watching them rewrite the episodes in front of our eyes or rewrite the show and yeah. develop it in front of our eyes. And and by the time they get the prophecy girl, you're like, okay, that's the draft you show people. That's the copy that people can see, and and it becomes the show. And I think then you know when we come back in season two, I think it hits the ground running and really doesn't stop. Um, you know, I can even though there are probably bad episodes in the next couple seasons, I can watch every single one of them. And 
yeah, this season doesn't have that. It has a couple stinkers. Um, but, you know, it, it, every show, like you said, batting average-wise, it's pretty damn good. Um, and it does end with, to me, one of the, you know, more indicative lines of the show, of course, which is, we save the world, I say we party. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's uh, the show in a nutshell. <laughs> guys, we uh, we just talked about Buffy. I say we party. Uh, thank you so yeah, much absolutely. for coming on. That is our wrap-up of Buffy Season 1. Uh, Beth and Chad, thank you for coming on again. Uh, Chad, where can we find you online? Um, just on Twitter, at Chad J. Shonk. Um, and um, as usual, you can find my uh, book, Proxy, on Amazon, and my movie, Dakota Sky, also on Amazon. And Beth, we can find you uh, bi-weekly at needlessthingssite.com. Do you, you have any things in the pipeline? You just did your um, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies review, which was an excellent review of a movie I have no intention of seeing. So thank you for seeing it for me. <laughs> hey, it's worth a dollar fifty when it comes out on Redbox. <laughs> um, but I, I am going to be seeing Deadpool this week, so... Uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm a little nervous. It may be worth reviewing. It may not. I may hate it enough to talk shit about it. I may love it enough to give it a glowing review. You never know. Oh, so you could potentially have two weeks in a row something could unheard of outside of the Halloween season. Only if it moves hey. her in one extreme or the other. Right, right. Yeah. Well, that I mean, that tends to be how yeah. I am now. I can't work up the gumption to write a review about something. Writing I'm a like, good yeah, review is okay. really hard. Uh, a thousand words about something I'm meh on? Yeah. Meh, I can't do it. it. But it's super easy to write a rotten review. And, yeah, you're right. It's Absolutely. hard to write. It's really hard to write awesome, you know, a thousand times. Later, guys. <laughs> Later. Bye. Bye. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I don't know. There are no words to that. I can't do that. That's terrible. Uh, that was great. We had a lot of fun. The problem with podcasts is you never say everything you want to say or that can be said, which is possibly also the problem with love and romance is you just, you don't ever say it all. There's always things left inside that don't get expressed. And they should. They should be expressed. And you know how you can express your love for the Needless Things podcast? By rating it on iTunes and Stitcher and by sharing it all over the internet. Tell your friends about the Needless Things podcast. Uh, and also, go check out the Mystery Men. If you type the Mystery Men with a question mark into Google, you'll find them on Facebook, on Reverb Nation. Those are the guys that provide our interstitial music uh, for this year and possibly beyond we'll see how that works out but they do awesome surf rock and i love them they're great and also beth's husband mr tibbs is who, who has been on the podcast and who might be annoyed that he wasn't on this one uh he is in that band and they're fantastic and i love them uh please go to itunes and stitcher seriously i know i've said that three times now in this show but we need all the help we can get you guys spread it around i'd like to find a larger audience and possibly even uh, more mediums to use my voice and potentially face we'll see what happens with that uh, i'm getting caught up it's already february and i'm working on it i'm trying to make this a better needless things year for you and for me you know why 
I know you know. Happy Valentine's Day. I love you guys.